morning, everybody. Top of the morning to you. This is the Matt Townsend Show, the morning edition. We, uh, you know, we've always been on BYU Radio, it seems like, for decades. Or two and a half years for well, that. for some people it's felt like decades. <laughs> yeah, just the listeners. Yeah, exactly. But uh, my name is Matt Townsend, Dr. Matt Townsend. I will be your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to three hours of bliss. Where, uh, you know, when we do the show, we like to touch on a bunch of different subjects. We also like to get down to the real human side. What does any of this stuff matter? Why does it matter? Why really do we need to talk about so many headlines? How do we handle all of this stuff? That is the goal of this program, to give you the tools, the ideas to make it through this crazy thing we call life. Welcome to the program, everybody. By the way, in the house, let me just introduce the team, because some of you, you may not know, we've been on every afternoon for two and a half years from uh, 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock Eastern Time, and in the house, uh, Sean O'Neill. Hello. Producing this great, wonderful, you've done a lot, Sean, to get us to this morning hour. This is a big deal. You may not sense that. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a big deal. Three hours instead of two. Well, I know the bucket is full. The bucket is totally full. In yes. fact, James Birdsall's on the board. Hello. Hello. James has been um, – James is one of our our great uh, friends on the show and employees and um, soon to be engaged. Yep. I was going to say in addition to that, victims of the show. Oh. Yeah, victims. Mm. <laughs> Innocent <laughs> there carnage. Is, there, is, there is that. Yes. We call it. Yeah. Yeah. Poor James. And, and, and you folks who have never heard the show before at this time of the day, you'll know why soon, I'm sure. Yeah, it won't take long. <laughs> no, you'll, it won't. You'll see why. Uh, it's not – you're not a victim. You're a, you're a participant. Yeah, yeah. I get, that's another way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We just have a lot of fun with James is kind of how that works. <laughs> We're not sure if it's willing or not, but, you know, hey. But he was willing to come to the morning show, which yeah. is strange because everyone else just jumped ship. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> hey, and Brandon Bishop's another producer we've got. Uh, he's trying to keep us on task here as well. Folks, we're so excited to do the show. Again, we, we like to have fun as we do the show. Sorry. You know, but we like to have fun. We also want to make sure everything applies to the human factor. Because the reality is you, there's a million places you can go to get your news. The, ooh, excuse me. The reality is there's a million places you can go to get your news. The problem is we. why does it matter? Why does it matter if – Obama said something about crusades. Why does that matter? Good question. We're going to talk about it. Hey, we got some headlines I want to get to. We always like to start the show with a few headlines. One of the big ones is Barack Obama. You know, he kind of made some problems for himself. Did again. you hear about this talk? Again? Yeah, well, again. And uh, National Prayer Breakfast, he was, uh, he was oh, I heard speaking this. at the National Prayer Breakfast. Now, I do have to give him credit, though. Yeah. He, he actually had a NASCAR driver ha- deliver a message at the National Prayer Breakfast. Really? Daryl Waltrip. Is that – A three-time NASCAR Sprint Cup champion. And so, again, as a NASCAR fan, spoke. you thought, wow, okay. Well, yeah, because, you know, a lot of times people just think, oh, well, those are the, just the hicks from down south. Right. Well, that's the sports across the nation. It's I'm huge. sorry. It's, but, yeah. it's one of the largest it was fan nice, bases ever, It was ever, nice right? to see some respect come from, you know. Okay. Well, that's – I don't think that's who he meant to offend. No. But what he, what he did say – is he basically compared, and he was just trying to set context, I think. He was just trying to set it up and set some context 
about what's happening with ISIS and ISIL. Mm -hmm. But he kind of unwittingly compared it to the Crusades, or maybe I think intentionally compared it to the Crusades of 800 years ago. And his point was there's a lot of stuff over the history of the world that has been done to, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the name of religion. In the name of religion or in the name of Christ or in the name of Muhammad. Well, yeah, but it set a lot of people off because a lot of people I didn't sick hear of... the comments myself, but I, I have to tell you that I kind of agreed with him the, the way that I heard it. Did you? Well, yeah. I mean, no, that, no, that's what's great about this is there's truth in it. Yeah, there is. I mean, yet we still are facing ISIS today. Mm-hmm. Right. So we 800 years ago, there was a there was the Crusades. We don't necessarily need to reinvent that right now to fight no. ISIS. Um, ISIS no. just burnt a man. I know that was fully alive and well. And so that's what people are frustrated by is, you know, it's great. It really is interesting context. In fact, some of the great professors that have been uh, that are experts in uh, Middle East history mm-hmm. understand that this is a highly complex issue. Right. Sure. And. He was just trying to set context. So here's what I believe. This is why we struggle, and this is what I really want to end up covering on the show over the next – as long as they'll let us have a show. Okay. Is simply – everything's going to end up turning black or white, right or wrong. Everybody in, in our world, in the United States, we're going to try to scope this as either Obama cares or he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And the reality is the guy's trying to set some context. It may not have been the most eloquent use of speech. You may not want to just casually throw the word crusaders out there. But the reality is there was an issue 800 years ago, and today we have another issue. And somehow we have to solve this. And if we don't start cutting through this, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. It was a prayer breakfast. I know. It was a prayer breakfast. What, what, what about uh, Galileo going on trial? Yeah, let's do that too. Let's get them all. I mean that's I mean that, that's right in the name of religion. Yep, you've seen a lot of things happen in the name of religion. And I think that was in his history. Point. We've, tons. We've, we've got to humble ourselves exactly. a little bit, especially as we're taking them on. And what he probably could have done to make it just a little more effective was say, "And the Crusades wasn't appropriate, wasn't right. It was zealousness. And let's go crush ISIS." If he had just balanced it with "Let's go crush ISIS," that would have been awesome. With a plan to go. Somehow intervene. I bet you there would have been. That's what I've loved about the Jordanian president. Yeah, he went all out. He's gung-ho. Game on. He just took it, didn't he? He released an image on Instagram of him all dressed up in uniform and everything. Yeah. I mean, he is the true warrior president or king, I should should say. Well, and it's really interesting, too, because, you know, radical Islam, President Obama and his administration will not, you know, target anyone Mm -hmm. as radical Islam. Don't use the word Islam with this terrorist movement. Yeah. And so that's another reason why people are so frustrated. But again, folks, this is our problem. And there is some context there. And what I found in the end, and you'll hear me say it a million times on the show, there's truth on both sides here, right? So there, I mean, the, the Crusades was real. And there were other reasons for the Crusades, like Muslim insurgency and anger toward Christians. And none of it, none of it gets rid of the real issues that we're facing. We still have to handle ISIS. We still have to do it. So, you know, we can have conflict for conflict's sake, but in the end, we've got to do something else. Another headline that was just super cool for me, and for all you out there in, uh, you know, geekdom, which I'm looking at my two compatriots here. Thank you. Did you hear about Neil Armstrong's closet? No. (laughs) It's pretty fantastic. I'm not going to go there, but okay. So Neil Armstrong passed away, you know, and um, while they were going through his closet, 
they found this weird little like purse full of instruments, wrenches, uh-huh. cameras from the famous Apollo 11 descent eBay. on the moon service. Yeah. I mean, this is brackets. It had brackets. It had sights for the cameras, sure. wrenches, utility belts, all of these great tools that his widow found uh, while they were going through his closet. It was just in a white cloth bag. And uh, these were all artifacts from the great Apollo 11 mission. Wow. That's Invaluable. Cool. Oh, yeah. Say. I, I, I can see those actually going to the Smithsonian. Yeah, they're yep. going to a museum. Did yeah, you hear about the up. great uh, – speaking of like invaluable things being found, did you hear about that painting? That no. painting that was discovered – well, actually sold. Uh, Gauguin? 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 Gauguin. Gauguin? Gauguin? Gauguin. A Gauguin. $300 million. Holy cow. Yeah. $300 million. To who? Guess who? Who would buy that? Bill Gates. No. Warren Buffett. No. You're going to keep guessing? Miley Cyrus. No. <laughs> I'm thinking of people who have that money. They believe the Qatari government ah. and uh, museum. Oh. $300 million. I, Actually, it was it was me. No, it wasn't you. You never know. Under a shell company called the Qatari government. A Gauguin. Exactly. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, a, a collector. Are you? Yeah. What, what was the last painting you purchased, Sean? Dogs at a table. Oh, playing poker. Yeah. Poker dogs in velvet. <laughs> oh, you bought it on velvet? That's cool. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Well, he wanted the nice one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a painting of two Tahitian girls by the French artist Paul Gauguin and has been sold for $300 million. Jeez. Painted in 1892. It's you know, supposedly you know, the, the most expensive. The only bad thing about being an artist, Yeah. you don't make any money until you're dead. Yeah. Well, it's a lot like being on radio. Yeah, that's true. But see, when you're dead, you're just in heaven, just soaking it up. Yeah, and it's kind of hard to be on radio when you're dead. That's a great point. Did you hear about North Korea? No. Oh, yeah. What? North Korea is testing a new cutting-edge anti-ship missile. Really? And, of course, Kim Jong-un is right there. North Korea has ships? No, they're shooting missiles at ships. (laughs) They don't have a ship yet. They're mm-hmm. just going to – yeah, that's a great idea. How's it this working? Is, it's a cutting edge sort of thing in there. Is it know, like a laser? It's not. No, this is a missile. The mm. thing you launch and yeah. you know goes in the air. Cutting it's edge. It's cutting edge. Of course, you know they're saying, of course, that it's their own design. And okay. all sorts of other people are saying, well, no, actually, that's a Russian design. <laughs> so the so, Russians are helping. Um, maybe it's not your cutting edge material here <laughs> i think i think it might not it might not be mm-hmm. isn't that interesting so the russians are helping no way the north koreans mm-hmm. that is so and, and it's strange you know u.s and south korea are going to start some military exercises their annual military exercises hmm. interesting yeah, i wonder if there's anything that's coinciding here did you hear the other news oh this is so interesting i guess our pentagon has believed our five-sided building in Washington. Our five-sided be- building in Washington, with all of the great uh, military leaders, we we believe there. They believe Putin may have Aspergers. I heard that. It's an interesting thing. So Aspergers is a high form of autism, mm-hmm. usually kind of not socially strong. The person's not very socially adept. They can't necessarily, you know, engage other people. They can't mm-hmm. read. You know, things. So they're, they're now very, after watching him thousands of hours of, uh, of video and other spy work, they're pretty convinced the guy has 
Asperger's. Mm-hmm. Except he wrote back, and so did uh, the Russian, um, I guess, communications experts from Russia were saying, oh, come on. He's a great man. Don't be ridiculous. It's not Asperger's. <laughs> he's just a raging alcoholic. No, they didn't say what, he, they didn't say what he's got. <laughs> but he doesn't play well with others. Well, but, And maybe it's Asperger's. Yeah, it's possible. It's yeah. totally possible. Now, I'm, I'm not to disparage anybody, but is Brian Williams got a problem too? Yeah, Brian Williams is in big trouble. In fact, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get in-depth on this Brian Williams story. You can't be the big NBC News anchor, the man of trust, the man who will always be here for us, and then be caught in a bunch of lies. It's not going to work. We're going to go in-depth on this one. We're going to bring in a professor here from Brigham Young University. Robert Walls will be talking with us, walking us through the scandal, I guess we'll call it, of Brian Williams. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. <laughs> Tell me lies. Really? That's so sad. Brian Williams, that's it's the topic. I, I, nice love, I love Brian Williams. That's a great song. Come but on, anybody, you, anytime you play Fleetwood Mac, haven't you learned anything from Bill Clinton? <laughs> anytime you play Fleetwood Mac, it's appropriate. Well, you just, like, insinuated. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> hey, uh, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, Dr. Matt Townsend here, your coach, your guide on the side. One of the topics that hit me over the weekend that I had to discuss today, Brian Williams. Now, just so you know, big Brian Williams fan. I love Brian Williams. Yes. And as a guy that went through, took some, uh, you know, have a bachelor's in media, in journalism. Yeah, tell me about it. Even came and studied for a master's in journalism. But what I found is um, I love the dude. And then all of a sudden you're finding out all of these stories that aren't quite true. Well, but it's just okay. I've only heard the one story that's not quite true. Well, what other the stories helicopter are there? Story, right, right? Right. Well, then there's the Katrina story, where now he's making up stories. Maybe, possibly, they're investigating him. Okay. About seeing bodies in the rivers, because the waters were so high that their bodies were floating by the carnage of it all, and yet a lot of people were saying it wasn't raining and there wasn't a lot of water with the rivers and there weren't a lot of bodies being mm-hmm. found in the rivers. I mean, other things, um, you know, that he went in and saved a puppy, for real. In a well, then you might wonder if he was lying when he was on Jimmy Fallon's show. You think? How could he ever do that? Slow jam, a little J- Jimmy Fallon style. Two weeks ago, President Obama signed an executive <laughs> order that granted temporary legal status to five million undocumented workers and provided a path to citizenship for those that meet certain criteria, thus giving immigrants a new way to enter our country. Yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) President Obama's taking a hard stance on immigration. (laughs) There's Jimmy Fallon. You know, so Brian Williams, no matter what, this is why I like him. He's so funny. He's on yeah. all the late night shows. Right. He's making NBC a killing. Well, he's not going to be on Letterman anytime soon. He actually just pulled out of doing yes. the Letterman show. He also just took himself basically off the air. He's going for to take a, a little days. break for a few days. They say a little while, just a little while. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, though, he just signed a $10 million contract. 
I didn't know that. Yeah. And for, I think, five years. And the other interesting little fact is Brian Williams, on every one of these little scenarios where he may have lied, mm-hmm. he had NBC crews there. Supposedly, so they have evidence. If they, they... They've known for years about this stuff. And supposedly Ooh. some of the senior executives have known for a long time that he was embellishing a few of the stories. That's what I'm going hmm. to talk to our next guest about in a bit is – because they knew about this. So but, in, they're going to also pay. So NBC pays as they build the anchor up. They're also going to pay as the anchor falls. Well, yeah. If NBC knew about all of this stuff, there's there's some big problems there. Yeah. Dan Rather, do you remember? Dan Rather got fired. A lot of people believe this is the beginning of the end for Brian Williams. But again, he a can always do. go do a little slow jam. Now, also last week, I mean, because this has been going on for a few days now. Last yeah. week, supposedly Tom Brokaw. Yeah, Tom Brokaw came out and said, let's let him go. But he didn't. Anchors away. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. Oh, he came the out, New York Post was claiming it. That's deadly. Well, that's what. Yeah, but Tom Brokaw came out and said, "No, I, I did not say that." Uh, so, he's fully behind the man. Yes. What's interesting about it too? Well, I don't know if he's fully behind him, but he, he just, he didn't call for his ouster. Ooh, see, this is the deal. Once there's blood in the news water, yeah, mm, sharks. <laughs> they're all sharks. Oh, yes. I, I've seen the news uh, game, at least on a local level, and there's uh, there's a lot of people that want to move into some uncharted territory as soon as they possibly can. Well, especially when it's it's such a juicy juicy story as one of the most That's credible true. and trusted news people in America. Yeah. You know, kind of has his fall from See, grace. this is where Brian's different because all of the other anchors, the Peter Jennings, kind of the Tom mm-hmm. uh, Brokaws, they all were correspondents. They all would go out into the war as a correspondent. Williams did that a little bit. Yeah, but kind of. Not in, as much. No, but kind of in the more new age media where they would embed. They had to be embedded with yes. these. And in fact, that's where a lot of these stories started. But they didn't go spend years no. covering war. And um, so it, it almost made it so that he didn't reach the same deification mm-hmm. as of a Cronkite, as a Cronkite, or and a as a yeah. yeah. So a you know, he, he may have had to add and assist his resume, which we all do. Assist. <laughs> Just in so, some ways more than so others. So embellishes their we got, we got Kyle, Kyle Collinsworth here throwing yeah. throwing the, 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 uh, the resume around yeah. and yeah, then next, you make a basket with it. Next time I'm uh, doing a job interview, I'll mention how I was in a helicopter that got shot down by an RPG. Oh, there you and, go. Well, you know, we could make up a great story for you. Okay. Well, yeah. the thing is, I, I, I can understand how Brian Williams might have you know, misremembered to use a, use a term. Yeah, yeah, the one story. But when it's and when it becomes multiple stories, that's when it's a bit off. Well, and then when you try to frame the entire thing, instead of just coming back and just owning it, every journalist on earth knows that there's just rules when you catch a liar. Yes. They just have to come back and own it. You have to just own it outright. But and you have to quite do it, own it. You have to talk about it and you have to talk about it first. Mm-hmm. You have to do it you, immediately exactly. the full story, get the whole truth out. Mm-hmm. But he kind of had half apologies, and he said he was doing a lot of this to build support for the veterans. And I don't know. It was just a little manipulative. But uh, one of the other things we really have got to talk about when it comes to this Brian Williams story is media in general. The media is changing, right? Big time. Big I mean, time. Do you remember it, was, it wasn't the mainstream media that blew open like the Bill Clinton affair gate or whatever we're called, Monica gate or whatever that no. was. It was – Drudge. It was just some little mm-hmm. blogger. And so all of a sudden, the, the economy for the media is changing. And if you, you know, some of these networks have really heavy models because they've had to reinforce everything and put everything into one anchor, one person, one talent. 
and you live or die by that model. And so now they've invested all of this time, which is why they can pay him ten million a year. That's true. Because if he, if you know, if eight or ten million eyeballs are looking at him every day, and he's bringing certain numbers, you can pay the guy ten million a year. The dilemma is one bad move, and it it crashes, and it crashes. So it, it crashes worse than a virus on your computer. But you know, <laughs> I'm serious. That's great. Worse than you, a virus. You, well, you think about your, it. It does. I mean, you've got. You might lose a document that you've been working on. You might. Well, you might lose all your family pictures. That's not a good thing. No, that's never a good thing. No. But, one, of the, one of the things we want to do um, is: do we need do we need these broadcasters anymore? Do we need this type of media? That's what we're going to be talking about with our expert mm-hmm. Robert Walls will be coming in to talk to us. BYU professor uh, who teaches uh, about media. He's going to enlighten us on what uh, what really we need. What do we even need him for? Come on, maybe we don't need him anymore. The maybe media? we can just listen to the Matt Townsend show. No, like the big networks. I'm telling Good you, question. it's an interesting idea. We'll come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, you know, the new morning show here on BYU Radio. This is our day one, and interestingly, our very first guest, Robert Walls, is joining us. Robert is uh, an associate teaching professor at the Department of Communications here at Brigham Young University. He himself has been a reporter and an anchor uh, in many, many uh, locations, KSL here in Salt Lake City in Utah, also Boise, Idaho as well, also uh, on KTVX Channel 4. But uh, he he's he's uniquely qualified to help us address this Brian Williams. Uh, I don't know what we'd call it, Robert. Um, well, right now, I guess we'd call it a scandal. Scandal. <laughs> what do you think? What's your gut feeling? I mean, Dan Rather got lambasted yeah. for probably doing less. Well, I don't know. I don't know if we could call it less or more. It's still being investigated right now. But if it. it the allegations prove out to be true, then he was uh, either making up or embellishing facts uh, for major news stories. This would be akin to a doctor killing the patient in our business. (laughs) Yeah, in your business. And so, you know, for the most part, we have a zero tolerance in journalism for plagiarism or for making up facts. And we have plenty of stories of uh, Jason Blair and other people who've been in the news business who have done similar things to what's being alleged here, and it damages our profession at its very core because trust is the thing that we sell more than anything else. And when you begin to erode on the foundation of trust, you begin to destroy our industry. And so I I would think that NBC, if this proves out to be true, would have to do something. I think they won't. Really? But I think that they should. They just signed a new contract with them. Yeah, like five or six years, ten million a year. Well, it, let's uh, let's step beyond <laughs> the controversy. <laughs> He's locked here. and loaded. And, and here's the problem that we have in journalism uh, in the world today: uh, Brian Williams and many of the other anchors aren't really journalists. Yeah, they're, and, yeah. and if, if you know, I'm As sure that purist. he would he would argue with yeah. that point. But do you really think that Brian Williams is in Afghanistan or in Katrina? digging out facts and right. going through government records. Uh, he is a commodity that is advertised by a company for the purpose of making money. And so he was groomed for many years to create this image of trust and confidence. Mm-hmm. And so they send their big name anchors to 
big places in the world, and they have a team of actual real journalists who are actually doing real journalism that go out with, that them. Go out with them and provide the information yeah. that he says, and the perception of the public is that he somehow is a journalist. Interesting. At, when he is really not. Not. Is that, I mean, is that the new age? I mean, I know that was one of the things, like we were talking about Brokaw, Jennings, uh, those guys, Dan Rather, they, they went out in the field. They chased down stories back in the well, day. They, they did prior to becoming the, the network yeah, as anchor. Correspondents. You, you know, you, uh, I remember when Dan Rather uh, kind of all started when he became the $6 million man, you know, when yeah. suddenly salaries of news people were comparable to those of actors. And then uh, the entertainment divisions of the, uh, the networks took over and they began to create images of people. And so we, we see this typically in national news. We see, you know, the – the anchorman with the perfect hair running up the stairs of the Capitol or, you know, jumping off the airplane into the battle zone. Yeah. And those are all designed to make us think that they are real journalists. When reality, they're just a face. They're just yeah. a, a figurehead. They're still on Letterman. They're still on Jimmy Fallon. Right. And, you know, uh, they're still doing on um, – Anderson Cooper is doing the – New Year's ball dropping. Right. So it's like – And Katie it, Kirk was – you know, she yeah. was a guest host on Letterman and she dressed up like SpongeBob SquarePants, you know. And, and so those people yeah. are – they're entertainers. They're, they're celebrity journalists and there really should be no such word as celebrity journalists. Right. Jur- journalists are auditors. They're boring people. They go – they audit the truth. They go and they look at records and they present the facts that they have found. And so – because of the nature of television, because the money-making arm of television is through ratings, um, that's the way it has become in our society is because the more ratings you get, the more money you make. But the credibility is – like you said, that's what you're selling, right? right. That is the – that's – and do we, do we need any more the Walter Cronkite trustworthy anchor? Well, we need trustworthy journalists. Journalists. Uh, we don't need – Let's look into the future here. Uh, The ratings for television news uh, uh, network-wise are at an all-time low. Yeah. And so people aren't buying it anymore. And so it's interesting now at the university, we just uh, about – we get applications for about 50 new journalism students every semester and we just met with all of those students. And when we asked them, where do you get your news, Hmm. it was interesting to say – Where do they say? uh, Facebook. Twitter. Twitter, yeah. Twitter is where most of them get their news right now. And so what That's happens when, when an event comes on, every, it's the new world we live in is that everything breaks on Twitter. And so you get a tweet and it tells you that there's some yeah. world event and then you're updated on that. And if there's visual information, <clears throat> someone will send you a link to that and you will watch it. And so under that, that uh, system of consuming information – do I need a guy in a suit or a lady no. in a dress to set it up for right. me? At 6 o'clock. I, I don't. <laughs> no. it, it, I'm, I'm not going to sit down at 6 o'clock and watch a half an hour news show. Right. Um, I'm going to get information. Information that's important will come to me. Yeah. And so when I look at that, I don't need to have somebody in a suit with an over-the-shoulder graphic you know, saying this is what happened. I want the information. Yeah. Do I still need reporters? Yes. Yeah, that's what you Do need. I still need video telling me the story? Yes. Mm-hmm. But – I think the days of you know I think it will always exist. I mean, we'll still have good heavens. We still have blacksmiths. That's true. You know, people still ride horses, <laughs> and so yeah, there'll probably be anchor people in the future at some level. But for the most part, I think the consumption of news is going to drive the mm-hmm. delivery. Of but news. you, I love the purity. But the journalists and I, I was trained as a journalist. It, it, there's a purity to it yeah. that you don't mess with. But it seems like with kind of the new economy of it. 
and even like the Drudge Report breaking the Clinton scandal and all of mm-hmm. that, it's changed the game where it journalist doesn't a role anymore. I mean, I mean, it is. It's right. just not what we're mainly getting in our media or news. Well, it, it it there has been there's more information now than ever before. Yeah, and there's still a lot of good journalism that's being done. We're kind of at a really exciting time now in the history of the world because we are at the invention, the development of a new delivery technology. When the printing press was invented, it changed the world. Everything. Radio and television changed the world. And so right now the world has changed. And so when you look at it in that sense, there are 7 billion people in the world and about 3.5 billion of them are carrying a mobile device. It's amazing the information that you can get out to people. And so I think the future for – researching facts, finding the truth, and displaying that truth is bigger than it has ever been before. Mm. We just have to figure out how to pay for it. Yeah, I guess that's it. Because, I mean, if I'm the lone blogger journalist, I could go out and break some stories, except I don't have the I don't have the money, the resources to fight against ABC. So ABC's pushing on them. So, I mean, but well, is there going to be a day that we just go find our favorite bloggers and follow them? Well, see, and that's the problem. Um, it quickly turns into public relations yeah. B- because if you don't have a funding source that is independent of your revenue, pretty soon you're doing stories that your advertisers want you to do. Yeah. And see, and that's the problem with bloggers. You know, blogging is great. It's a good way to get out information. But much of it is opinionated and it's not balanced. And it's that's not right. fair and it's not responsible. Right. And so how do you create fair, responsible information without having it being tainted by money? If you look at the history of our country, we have never really had freedom of the press in the way that it was intended intended because it has always been tainted by money. Benjamin Franklin owned a printing press. Yeah. And so his story got out. You know, the British were libeled. That's right. And so it's been that way. There's been a few times in the history of our country that we've actually had good journalism. Those have been the times when the owners have made so much money that they just no longer care. They didn't care what's going on. And so the New York Times, they were making so much money, they just told their journalists, go and do whatever you want. (laughs) And so we had great journalism. Uh, CBS, you know, 60, uh, 60 Minutes was making so much money that the owners of CBS just said, Go do whatever you want. So we had this amazing television magazine yeah. show for many years. It is not that way today. You know, every penny is being counted because they they were the only game in town for many, many years. And now there are too many places to get information. That's right. And so in order to have good journalism, you have to separate it from the money-earning side. So money has always been oh, our And how do you enemy. do that? I mean, realistically. Well, I think there are ways to do are that. There? Uh, let's just imagine yeah. for a moment. Let's say that the state of Utah decided that truth was really important to them <laughs> and that good journalism was actually important because it is. Yeah, totally. Uh, are we covering the legislature? Not very much. Are we covering the school boards? No. Are we no. covering the water board? No. Drive-by, yes. That, well, that, yeah, dri- <laughs> yeah, we do drive-by. We do traffic accidents. We yeah. do murders. You know, and that's, that's what we get when we watch watch the news. Um, it, we're losing one of our major newspapers in Salt Lake City. Uh, yeah. uh, the other one has been dramatically uh, redacted. And so where are the journalists who are going to go cover the information that we need to become a democracy? So let's just imagine the state of Utah, uh, Governor Herbert said, this is important for us and let's take $25 million and let's put it in an endowment. And let's say the people of Utah decided and collectively we put up another $25 million. We had $50 million in an endowment and the money that we made on the interest of that, we hired a half a dozen journalists. And we said, just go cover the truth. 
And they would give that yeah. information to everybody. They'd give it to the TV stations. They'd give it to the newspapers. And we would have actual real journalism that was not tainted by money. Mm-hmm. It was information that we need. If the public wants it, they could look at it. And now if I'm a journalist and I'm doing that, I don't care about ratings or right. newspaper sales. I just care about finding the Get truth. The story. Now I'm an auditor. Of the truth, I, I'm not running around in a suit, you know, trying to get my picture on television, or I'm not trying to worry about selling newspapers. But you'd have to really get—I mean, that's a big jump, isn't it, right now? Well, if the state of Utah did that, it would pretty, be a pretty easy thing to do. Every state in the nation would follow suit because everybody wants the truth. Well, except the politicians that hate the no, journalists. Even the, even the, poli- the reason <laughs> politicians hate journalists is because they're inaccurate. Okay, yeah. Most politicians are honest and most politicians want truthful information. Most politicians the, – the, the reason they don't trust journalists is because journalists, because of ratings and newspaper sales, exaggerate. Say whatever they have. And to. they try to go ex, you know, expose people and they, they don't do their homework. Yeah. If they did, that's what the people want. That's what politicians want. That's what government wants. Mm-hmm. That's why it's in the constitution. Yeah. And that's why it's necessary in a democracy for it to, to to flow. And so there are ways to do that that would give us accurate information that would be untainted. And right now is the time to do it. I, I, I totally agree. And I mean we need that other branch, the fourth branch of government to – or fourth branch to go keep checks. Time to step up, man. It's now, time to – Give us some. Just give us some tools as the average listener. What? How do we detect where the real news is? What? What is real journalism? Where should we be going for our information? Well, even it, even at any of the main networks, at any of the main you know cables, it's so skewed. And there are journalists right. in there, but how do we detect? There, there's the, still a lot of good journalism that's being done. Yeah, um, and, and still a lot of good news operations that are doing good journalism for the most part. There's some of them that have. Uh, you know, it has always been they have certain angles on things that they're looking at. And so they might take a conservative bent or they might take a liberal bent. That's bad journalism yeah. when they do that. But for most part, most journalists don't want to be in that area. Yeah. They just want to go find the truth and report it. That's why they went into this business. That's easier. And, and so as a consumer right now, it's the only really option you have is to read a lot of different sources. And so, for example, on on television, if you watch Fox News, it's going to be skewed one way. If you watch MSNBC, it's going to be skewed the other way. Uh, If you watch the networks, you you never know what you're going to get. Same with CNN. But if you watch a balance of those, you're going to get information that you can – So force your head to to see them all. Touch them all. You know, read the Washington Post. Read the New York Times. Read the Deseret News. You know, you're going to get a variety of different voices from different sources. Not perfect. Right. Not perfect, but it's – we're lucky that we now have access. I can easily right now read the the New York Times. Yeah. I mean uh, 20 years ago, that would have been really difficult for me to do. Absolutely. Hey, wrap it up for us. Uh, What's going to happen with Brian Williams? Um, I'm afraid nothing is going to happen because they have invested. It will depend on ratings. If the ratings don't drop, if the public doesn't seem to care, which they may, they might may not, not care, nothing will happen and we'll just move on this. It'll just be a, another hiccup. It, yeah. Uh, if the ratings seem to drop and people start looking at uh, – don't stop watching NBC, he'll be gone. It really is just a fiscal decision, isn't right. it? Isn't it, that interesting? It doesn't come down to ethics. It's going to come down – to money. What well, what do you want as a business or as a communications professor? What do I want to have happen? Yeah. I, I guess drawn and quartered is not a, a 
It's um, not an option? It's not an option. It, um, I think in journalism, as in any field in your ethics, you have to have a zero tolerance. And I think if you discover that any of your journalists in any operation are falsifying or plagiarizing facts, they find their uh, a box at the door with their stuff right. in it and they're gone. You have to have that standard in order to maintain the trust of the public. Yeah, it, if you don't, uh, people aren't going to believe what you say. If people don't believe what you say, then it's over. It's over. Good stuff. Robert Walls, we appreciate you. Thanks My for pleasure. running in here. Great to be here. Poor guy. <laughs> to get in here fast. Robert Walls, we appreciate that. Uh, really, folks, uh, trying to take it a little bit deeper for all of us to understand what's going on behind the scenes. We're going to take a break. When we come back, you may have heard about the story of Harper Lee, author of To Kill a Mockingbird. There's another book coming out. We're going to be getting into that a little bit later in the show today. More fun, more ideas, more insight right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show, the new morning show. That's what we uh, we are called, the Matt Townsend Show in the morning. Hey, what an interesting thing. I mean, to study journalism, that's tough stuff. I mean, that's really tough stuff. It is. Because I studied a bit of it myself. I did, but they're struggling. They're struggling as an industry. Well, in it's, trouble. It's it's a time of change. Yeah. in the communications industry, it's. I don't think it's just the news industry. You yeah. have broadcast TV that's changing. All sorts of stuff is trying to figure out. Wait a minute, we've got all these uh, these abilities now. What are we going to do with them? Yeah. Now what? You know. Mm-hmm. What do you do when you've got all this technology? You've got you've got blogs, you're, and you're competing against Twitter. How do you beat Twitter? <laughs> Like right there, Mike Pond just got a new story. That's right. Receives it on Twitter, brings it to us. There's a new story we've got to cover. Um, one of the things I I do just as and I've done it for 25 years as I've been a, I've been a life coach and I and a, I teach workshops and classes and one of the areas I focus a lot on and we're, it's going to become a major part of the show is not only do we want to cover a story like Brian Williams but we also want to talk about kind of the other side of the issue which what does it matter to you and personal character matters in the news it matters a ton because we have to um you your credibility is all that you've got to sell and I believe in the end that's the same with each of us each of us has basically got a set of standards, our own character, our own belief, and we're either growing it or we're not. And we need to help our families to understand the importance of character. Again, all of the Brian Williams stuff, there's a lot of allegations. That's not the point, per se, when in this next segment. But your own character is. So if somebody came up and just said, okay, on a scale from 1 to 10, how much character do they see in you? Don't you wonder what the people around you would say? Do they see character, integrity in you? Because for a lot of us, life's too hard, and we've got a lot of reasons why we might want to cut a corner here or cut a corner there. So let me give you, just as we kind of wrap up this first hour, five ways to grow your personal character. And um, it is always the road less traveled, right, as Robert Frost's poem suggests. You're Mm -hmm. eventually going to come to that, that, uh, that fork in the road, and you're going to have to take a path 
sometimes it's just easier to take the path that everybody goes down. And if everybody around you is, you know, cheating a little bit here, taking a little bit there, then uh, we're in trouble. Here's some rules for you and your children. These are great things I'd be teaching your kids as well. Remember that your personal character is always your own journey. It's your story. It's your journey. That, by the way, so true when it comes to Brian Williams. That was his story. Those were his journeys. And um, sometimes we need to watch out and and be careful of the story the, or the the way we tell our story. If we end up blaming a lot of people, if we end up telling, you know, and, and pushing it back on everyone else like they are the problem in our lives, you got to be careful. Instead, use words like, I'm sorry. When you don't know something, say, I don't know. We live in a society where not knowing, uh, you know, is kind of hard because in one instant you can Google it and find it out. Maybe more apologies. When you hurt somebody, truly apologize. Uh, Truly get over what you need to to get over. Own it. Another thing that builds character is do hard things. One of the things I found with my kids, they don't necessarily know how to do hard things. I ask them to go do something if it seems hard. Yesterday or Saturday, I just asked one of my kids to run out to the car to get something that was in the car. And he looked at me like I was asking him to, you know, rob a bank. He seriously said, Really? Can't we get it later? I'm like, no, I need it now. I wouldn't ask you if I didn't need it now. So do hard things. Do you feel like you are a person who has the character to just go get the hard thing done, to go, to go work in your yard, to go do the things you need to do? In fact, most of the difficult things in life are hard. Sometimes being honest is a very hard thing to do. Sometimes just – I mean I think personally Brian Williams, without all of those stories, he easily – could have just kept getting fans that loved him because he has other talents, other gifts. You know, he was fun. He knows how to be funny. He's witty. He's charming. Um, That could have been probably enough. Another is risk being vulnerable with others. A lot of us are too afraid to truly show who we are. Think about you and your family, with your marriage, with your partner. Do you feel like they actually see the real you? Are you able to cry when you need to cry? Are you able to uh, do what you need to do? Do you remember when Ronald Reagan said, Gorbachev, Mr. Gorbachev, tear, tear down, down this wall. wall? That is pretty, pretty gutsy. And I'm sure they had it all worked out. I'm sure they knew, everyone knew it was going to be said and what was going to be said. But we have to be willing to be vulnerable to have a failure if we want to ever have successes. Uh, by the way, another one a thing that I found that improves character is being able to savor silence. Just be able to sit in the silence. Be able to hear what you need to hear. Just be quiet. We we have a life where we just fill our heads up with junk. Oh, sometimes that is so true. If you, you know? just if if you you think you have to say something, and a lot of times people have when you're in a discussion, you're you're just looking for the next time that you get to speak yeah. instead of actually listening yeah. to the person and you're, and the taking du- it I call in. that the dueling monologue. You're yes. always monologuing or waiting to monologue. Do you have the ability to just sit there and hear it? Like uh, we were just hearing from Robert Walls. Do you have the ability to listen to a contrary position mm-hmm. in the news that you don't like? Do you have the ability to listen to MSNBC and Fox News? Right. Do you, can you do that? I actually love doing that, not because I have a ton of character per se, but it, <laughs> it, it, it rounds me out. And it, but it is something. It's hard. And a lot of us would rather just hear what we want to hear. And the last simple rule to grow some more character in our, our lives is to resolve to see others as your equal. Everybody is still bringing an opinion. Everybody's still got an idea. And um, in the end, if I can have enough character to understand that every other human being on this earth has a story, even Brian Williams, we don't need to tear him down. He's an incredible man that's done incredible things, and he's made mistakes. Yeah. (sighs) 
doesn't mean he needs to be a news anchor, and it doesn't mean I need to watch it. And that's where you have the ca- the character and the power to do what you need to do. Did you see another guy that almost made a mistake last night? Who? Kanye West. D- did he? He almost I saw went, him perform. He, he almost went up and interrupted. Oh no, he did. Beck. I remember that. Yeah, and he he stopped himself. Now I know that he stopped himself. Kanye but is still so known. <laughs> Afterwards, he said, you know, Beyonce still should have won that award. I'm like, give me oh, a break, man. guy. Come on. Yeah. Kanye, yeah. Again, but see, again, this goes back to personal character. Yes. And all of us need it. Kanye needs it on the stage. Brian needs it on his stage. I need it on my stage. <sighs> Even though my stage is really small. It's about two inches wide. It's, a, it's just a little microphone. We're going to take a break, my friends, and uh, come back again. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Trying to give you the insight into the news, but also some other tools to get through life in a healthy, happy way to help you find the good in the world as well. Thanks for sticking with us. We will uh, take a break. Be back after this brand new hour after this break. Good afternoon, everybody. Top of the morning to you. Welcome to the second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. I am the host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Now, this may sound like a new voice. Marcus is no longer here. Marcus has left the building. Has left the building. Uh, Marcus, who uh, was filling in on the morning show for three years. Do we dare say the king has left the building? He is the king. Yeah. But Marcus Smith. uh, You want to raise, don't you? As, yeah, Marcus Smith wanted a better life. And so they said, hey, Matt, you do the afternoon show. Why don't you come in and do the morning show? Why don't, why don't you ruin your life yeah. and do the mornings now? And like a really eager little, I don't know, rabbit excited to go get some carrots. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I ran. Yeah. And then snap, there was a trap. And I was stuck at six in the morning. And now you're in it. It sounds negative, but it was actually a really great experience. Uh, it's early to do this show. Have you guys yeah, noticed that? Everybody on the East Coast is going, what? Yeah. Early? <laughs> what? At 6 a.m., Mountain Standard Time, I was actually True. five quarter to six I was here. It was early. And I saw James come in. This was fun. And it was dark. It was very dark. But it's totally worth it. So on this show, we have a little bit different approach. We like to have fun. So I always kind of talk about we want to have fun with this because if it's not, if we're not learning, why are we here? We've got to be learning. And uh, we also are going to get into headlines and have great well, guests. I don't I, learning insightful. You're you're a, a, a relationship coach, yeah. And so we learn a lot from that. But sure. I think there's you have to get you have to do more of a holistic learning, right? And that's what we like to do on the show. You have to learn about your world as well as right. your yourself. We all sit here, and I guess you could you can get news anywhere. Mm-hmm. So if all you want is information, like about you know who died where. What happened here? That's probably not what we do because mm-hmm. we're not just a news source. But we are – we're going to bring you insight and relevant depth to how these stories apply to you and what – you know, every one of us need to get through this life. And most of us never got a handbook. Um, so this show is the handbook Oh, to help you through. Where's the printing press? It's my mouth. Oh, jeez. <laughs> my mouth is the printing press. Anyway, hey, here's some uh, headlines for you. Did you hear what's happening in Boston again? Boston? Boston. Two more feet of snow. Oh, I know. They're canceling 
No. Again. Monday's I, been canceled. I hear about this all the time. Do you? Yes. Why? My wife works for an airline. That's right. Who has flights that go in and out of Boston. Right. So, so she knows. My wife has been – the last three weekends, my wife has been working <laughs> a lot. But, but she's trying to change everyone's schedule. Boston public schools will be closed Monday and Tuesday as the city prepares for another major snowstorm. That's two more feet on top of That's their already right. like four or five feet that mm-hmm. they have. Again, I think this uh, – I don't want to start rumors, but this is definitely connected to the Super Bowl. Ship it to us. We and, need and to we, snow. And meanwhile, 65 degrees this weekend here in Utah. I know. There's no snow. It's crazy. It's killing us. It's killing us. Anyway, we're again, you're in our prayers, Boston. Um, it is a lot of work, man. How do you – but they're going to start ticketing again. I don't know if you remember, but John Kerry's family got ticketed because they don't shovel their walks. Really? Yeah. So if you're John Kerry – Well, if you don't shovel, how can you tell that there's even walks yeah. <laughs> with that much snow? Well, that's it because the, the neighbors shovel their walks. Oh, I and see. And then all of a sudden you're just left with – And then you just have a – Four a, feet like, of snow. Drop off of yeah. – Yeah, it seems like at some point they're going to have to start investing in like tunneling equipment to you would take think. care of that snow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh. Just – Ooh. Tunnels, the there tunnels of Boston. Yes, no. they well, they already have. have yes. They already have. That was the major construction uh, that was going on the many, many moons ago. They called it the Big Dig. The Big Dig. Now they're still involved in the Big Dig. Yeah, but this is digging out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> making tunnels. Big Dig 2.0. But I want to know how many houses have tons of snow on top of them right now. Yeah, on the roof. Back in the day, remember that's, that was a big deal. That's got to be a big worry. Oh yeah. In fact, I, I remember as a kid, you know, we had, I don't know, four feet, five feet, six feet just in a couple of days. Houses mm-hmm. were caving in. Oh, yes. I People remember People were that. inventing little tools, devices, booms you to were, get up on the roof. You weren't that much of a kid, believe me. Okay. Because true. I was 20. I was here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're saying I'm old. You're there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we are. I don't have an AARP I can, card. I can qualify for that now because <laughs> I've been told I'm old. No, you are old. Remember? The 200-year-old mummy? Yeah. You're the 200-year-old daddy. Right. This sounds rude. I didn't mean offense. <laughs> hey, uh, today, did you, there, one of my favorite stories, and it's, it's kind of getting into the realm of parenting. What if I told you that uh, – what if one day you're just sitting there, you're on Facebook looking around, you, you go to your police station Facebook page, mm-hmm. you're looking around, and all of a sudden you see a video. Now, I do – I have – have done you done this? this? There's, there is a there is there is a local police office that puts their police beat out on their Facebook page. Mm. And the thing is, though, the person who's writing it has makes comments in the police oh, really? beat, and it is hilarious. Are they funny? So, yes, so they you, are. Yeah. I I used to do that at the university. They'd write a really funny yes. little I yeah. know what they mm-hmm. called it, but, but what, it was cool. This, so you're, you're so searching this mom's just looking on her local Facebook uh, Facebook page of her local police department, and mm-hmm. she sees a picture of a wanted man. Somebody had, had gone into a store, and they stole $670 worth of PlayStation and Xbox controllers from Target. Ooh. So there is, and they have a picture of him in Target, and this woman noticed that it was her son. Oh, no. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> that oh. is like, oh, you are so now, now, grounded. Now, here's, oh, no, her son <laughs> lived in the house? Country. I don't know. No, it it just says that she then reported to the police department that that was her son. She turned her son in. Oh, geez. She was probably livid. <laughs> she was at home on our Facebook page. Officer Sergeant Chris Parmation told 
the station, this, this station reporting this. She is at home on our Facebook page, comes across the bulletin that we are attempting to identify a thief. Lo, behold, it's her son. She then stormed her 18-year-old into her 18-year-old son's bedroom oh my at 1 a.m. at home. And offered him due process. Oh, jeez. Oh. Game on! Oh. <laughs> the wrath of oh, mom. Yeah. My. Her son was later Holy arrested cow. at home and was begging the police to take him away. Please get me out of here. My mom's crazy. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Would you? How hard would that be? Do you turn? Oh. For that mom, it didn't seem that hard. Well, you have to turn him in because now, if it, if you don't, you know, maybe dad will. You're an accomplice, or grandma, or anybody well, else yeah. that's looking. Especially if he's storing the stolen items mm-hmm. in your house. Yeah. Oh, see, but that's that's what stresses parents out. Yes. That's why parents should win awards. I agree. Don't you think? Yes, I'm due one. Are you? <laughs> You're doing. So is my wife. Actually. By the way, Sean has four lovely daughters. Mm-hmm. I have six children. Yeah, one daughter, five lovely boys, who are all home listening, because in the morning show they can listen. That's true. Yeah. Are they listening now? Mine, mine are at school. Uh, yeah, mine are probably being. My wife likes to always um, frisk them and search them to make sure they don't have any right. stolen goods on the them. Contraband. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. any contraband. Then she'll send them off. To is school. there a metal detector as you yeah. come in and out of the house? She okay. fans them with a wand. Take off your belt and your shoes. <laughs> it's, we're laughing, but it's true. Okay. We're um, laughing because it is true. Yeah, it's a sad truth. It's a very sad truth. But no, my kids are great. So um, one of the things we want to do, we're, we're, we've got a great guest coming up. Well, I hope my kids know that I would turn them in. I would turn mine in. Yeah. I think it would be better for them to go through that process and learn about it than to not have, not have them do it again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've actually threatened to do that. Mm-hmm. Even though they hadn't done anything, <laughs> when we're driving in our car and they don't have their seatbelt on, like I'm like, okay, oh, I'm, there you go, go. I'm finding a cop, I'm finding a cop, there and you my go. kids start buckling up. But now my I kids are all neurotic. I just, I just pull over and stop the car. We're not going until you're buckled. Wow, look how patient you are. I'm more threatening. Oh no, it's 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 more of a. Why aren't you? You know, don't the, make me come back there. <laughs> exactly. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, Kevin Schaefer is going to be joining us. Um, he is a BYU professor that worked with uh, Pepper, what was it, Princeton? Princeton professor. And they put together a study on step parenting and depression and depression and the multiple roles we play. So if you are a step parent, or by the way, even just a parent, this is going to be very insightful. Doctor Kevin Schaefer will be joining us. We're going to take a break and discuss depression in parenting. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show, the new morning show here on BYU Radio. This is day number one, hour number two. We're still hanging on. Hey, you know what else is great, James? They haven't fired us yet, which is half of the battle. Half of the battle. Uh, we, uh, we've been talking about your parenting skills and just the stress of parenting. It's, it hits every one of us. And I know a lot of you are driving to work. You've already had to drop off the kid. You had last night, you spent all night finishing their midterm project. 
You know, maybe yesterday afternoon you were digging an M&M out of their nose. You're like, man, you're 17, boy. Quit putting M&Ms up your nose. No. <laughs> yeah, Sean. Last night I was cleaning up a broken mirror. Ooh, that's seven years bad luck. My daughter broke it. <gasps> Does she know of the curse? She was leaning over in a chair. Yeah. The mirror, I don't, the mirror had been up on the vanity and had, had moved or something. So they took it yeah. down and they were going to put it back up, but they hadn't put it back up yet. Oh, she boy. fell into the mirror, has some cuts and stuff. Luckily, nothing oh, she got serious. Yes. Wow. Nothing That's dangerous. Nothing, yeah. you know, no, no stitches. No, nothing the, deep enough was, to do that. It was but traumatic, it was, yeah. and she has a seven-year curse to now deal with. Yep. Wow, James is just getting over his curse. Yeah, I'll be done on I think March fifteenth. Yeah. That's so. That's great. why I'm surprised he got knives for his girlfriend. I know it's totally weird, and it's also so. That's why he's waiting to actually get engaged until the curse ends. <laughs> By the way, that's a great. It's a great rule for everyone out there in listener land. Don't ever. Make big decisions while you're under a seven-year mirror curse. Yeah, it usually goes over poorly. <laughs> it never works out right. Uh, anyway, so if you're stressed out because of your children or your stepchildren, we've got a study and an expert that might be able to help you. Okay, The study was done by our guest, Dr. Kevin Schaefer, who is a professor here at Brigham Young University, assistant professor of social work here. And he published a, a study that was done with in, in – in um, cooperation with Princeton University, a study that was basically focusing on parents that take on multiple roles at home, like being a mother and a stepmother, and the impact that has on depression. Let's pick his brain on this one. Dr. Kevin Schaefer, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks for having me. So good to have you. And, you know, we all we already know parenting is stressful just, you know, in general, when you're when you're digging something out of a ch- little child's nose, or you have to finish the project with them, or they don't give you the details till the last minute, it's stressful. But in your research, you found out what it might be more stressful than we think. Right. So um, I think when we think about the link between depression and parenting, I think one of the first things that we probably think about is postpartum depression. Right. And um, and that's a very serious issue, obviously, um, and don't want to minimize that in no. its importance at all. But what we found was that um, parents who took on uh, multiple roles, like you said, so they're a bio, they have a biological child, they have a stepchild, or maybe they have a, a residential stepchild and a non-residential biological child right. from a previous marriage. Um, those people are at very high risk for um, being depressed. Oh, it's so, interesting. Just yeah. the different roles is really what you found. Right. So what we found was that um, the combination, I think, the stress that comes from it and the, the different expectations uh-huh. uh, revolving around those different parenting types and those parenting roles, I think, is what increases stress and increases the likelihood of depression. So if we think about, let's say, someone who has a non-residential biological child, say, from a previous marriage, um, and then has a, a residential stepchild as well, they might feel uh, twinges of guilt for maybe being more involved in the lives of their stepchild than their own biological child, or um, yeah. they're not sure exactly how to parent um, their their biological child when they're not together uh, with their mom or dad. Is this, is this true only, Kevin, with uh, parenting roles, or is it is it any role? Like... If the mom has a role inside the house, I mean, being the mom, 
but also ha- has employment outside of the home or mm-hmm. also is on other community committees or whatever. Do those roles also do increase depression? Yeah, there's some there's some evidence of that. There's some evidence that um, the more roles we try to take on um, as individuals, the more likely we're <clears throat> putting ourselves at risk for poor psychological well-being. So the 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 question that you raised in terms of the um, parent who works outside the home and then is parenting um, inside the home, that's we've known for several decades that that's yeah. Um, that increases the risk of depression. What's interesting is um, we traditionally have looked at that effect on moms, but more recently um, we've seen that effect actually emerge among dads as they've become um, more involved in the lives of their kids Yeah, and uh, greater demands have been placed on them at work. So interesting. I mean, it's and we've known that for years. I guess we haven't known that it impacts the men as much, but then your study you know, sheds more light on the idea of parenting roles, step-parenting roles, which is, I mean, we, we've always kind of heard that when you blend families, you know, it increases the likelihood of divorce, Is and I, I'm assuming that's still true. That's true, yeah. So, And is that um, this stress, this depression probably adds to that? Sure, yeah. So um, stress and depression obviously are pretty big risk factors for being in a, in a poor romantic relationship as well. So um, particularly because the way that people manifest depression, either they turn in on themselves and so they don't communicate with their partner or they become uh, hyper aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, so they become easy to anger. Um, they argue. They become very argumentative. They are more likely to shout, um, even um, more likely to um, drink too much or smoke or use drugs or um, engage in the use of pornography or whatever it might be. So all of those things obviously could increase the likelihood that yeah. you're going to get divorced as well. So Wow. It's almost, it's, I guess it's, it's interesting because it seemed like common sense that of course you'd be stressed and depressed. But now that we have the data, what, what, where does that take you as a researcher? Yeah. So as a researcher, I think, um, that it's important to, to sort of see like what the specific reasons are, that these parents are depressed. So we know that there's a correlation between the two things, mm-hmm. but I don't think we know exactly what the mechanisms are that that lead to depression in parents. Um, I think the other thing is, is as a social worker, um, I'm highly interested in making sure that, that clinicians, whether they be social workers or psychologists or um, medical doctors, whoever it might be that, that might be um, diagnosing depression, that, they're, that they recognize um, the risk factors associated with depression. Oh, there you depression. go. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, it's almost like when somebody comes into my office and I'm talking to them and they're a mom, a new mom, and they're showing signs of depression, I, like you said earlier, I automatically think postpartum, right? right. And yeah. And yet now, but we a lot of times we don't necessarily think or take into these other categories the fact that they're a step-parent and a parent and they have their own children from the new marriage and all of these produce different roles. So you're basically trying to inform all of us out there. It's it's an indicator. It's a, it's a predictor of depression. Exactly. And and I think one of the really interesting things that um, has been found by the CDC and others is that parents are way less likely to go see a psychologist or a clinician about 
mental health issues right. if they are a parent. Right. And so, because they don't want to admit, I think, that they're, that they're feeling stressed. It's supposed to be this really joyful thing. It's supposed to be this thing where you're just so happy that you have kids. And why am I feeling so sad and blue and, and not like myself? And, and the answer is, it's both of those things, right? Um, right. Parenting is highly stressful. Um, and it's also really joyful. And it can be both those things at the same time, and that's okay. Yeah. And yet, we, here we sit, in a, and if you're not looking for that, you're sitting in your second marriage wondering why you're so down and, right. and not even really having a good indicator why, and yet you're stressed in, in a level. You, and, we, and we just throw it on the kids. I, I hear it all the time. You know, if, we're really happy when the kids aren't there. <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, yeah. well, yeah, who isn't, right? But it, the hard part is finding the happiness when the kids are there. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's I think that's why we need to be open and honest and talk and communicate about those those stresses and those issues. We shouldn't feel guilty for, you know, wanting time to ourselves and and being able to recharge our batteries. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But at the same time, we also want to find joy like you said in those parenting moments. And if we're not open and honest about our feelings uh, when we need recharged, then it's going to turn into something very bad. Oh, yeah. And it's it's so subtle, isn't it? Because, you know, you're, you're so in love with their mother. I don't <laughs> like, I, I love you to death. It's just your kids bug me. But um, but it's not even like it, it doesn't even have to be, according to your research, that we have a stress like that. We don't like the child. It's just another role. It's an it's an additional role with expectations that we have to kind of please. Exactly. Yeah. And, and we don't. Even though I don't think we even know what those expectations are. Like yeah. If, as a step parent, you know there aren't really good rules for how we parent, like there are with our own children, right? Like mm-hmm. with our own kids, I think we know pretty much like what the role is as a mom or a dad. We're supposed to be emotionally there. We're supposed to take care of their their physical needs and their emotional needs, and obviously, you know, everything else that they might need. But as a step parent, what am I? what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to be emotionally available? Right. Like, am I supposed to go to the sporting event or yeah. the play or whatever Am I supposed to discipline so, this child that's not mine? I hear that all the time. Exactly. Exactly. And that's that's a huge challenge. Yeah, which is again goes back to why we need to talk about it. Let's take a break. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Kevin Schaefer here from Brigham Young University who just published a recent article with Princeton University talking about your roles and how your roles as a parent might be creating some of that depression that you're you're feeling as a parent, especially in those step parenting relationships. We'll take a break, come back, more ideas, more tools, more interesting insight about life. We're trying to give you the the good in life as well as, uh, you know, some real tools to, to make it through. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, when you coming home, Dad? I don't know. I'm really depressed because of my multiple roles as a parent. That's the latest research, folks. If you have multiple uh, roles at home, and, and you're a parent, but you have you're, no, you're a mother, you're a stepmom, 
you have your your children uh and you have some children living with you some children living with your your ex-spouse all of these different roles that you might be taking on they might be the source of some of your depression in fact the research according to our next guest kevin schaefer states that uh, it dramatically increases chances for depression. Dr. Kevin Schaefer, again, is from Brigham Young University. He's an assistant professor of social work here at BYU, and he uh, published this study with some authors from Princeton University. Kevin, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks. I love uh, the fact that we're we're starting to get in on this the idea of roles i i've always found that role you know, the roles you play it's an interesting way to look at your life because you you don't you're not just a parent you play multiple roles as a parent you're a provider you're uh you're a car chauffeur you're different <laughs> things and uh, now your research is validating that that does increase stress especially in step parents exactly right it's um what are we supposed to do about this information i mean if I'm a step-parent and I've fallen in love with just the most incredible person in the world and I love her children, um, how should I go about stepping into the relationship and try to, I guess, minimize, mitigate some of these potential problems? Uh, I would say gingerly. Um, <laughs> very, so, very carefully. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I think what that, what that really means, though, is uh, that it requires um, a lot of of discussion and open communication. I think one of the things that um, people often do and one of the mistakes they often make is rushing into things or mm-hmm. expecting like this relationship's going to be really, really good. Yeah. And I, I mean, I like the kids. The kids seem to like me. So love will carry it. Pro- exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, that's a really romantic notion, but it doesn't really work out that way. You know, um, yeah. Well, it, I'm I'm married, and and there are things that I know that I do that really annoy my wife, yeah. and vice versa. Um, and then you add kids to that mix, and it just becomes it could become toxic. It's it's true. And when you think add the complexity that if you have exes, I mean, there's a reason you divorce the ex, right? right? I mean, there's yeah. reasons there, and there were situations and issues, and those don't go away either. So. I mean, it really is slow and steady might be the the real deciding factor also. And then over communicating, we really need to talk. Yes, I totally agree with that. And I think, you know, I I think going and and actually talking to a professional um, is is really, really valuable. I think that we need to sometimes get over the stigma associated with that and just say, you know, this is new for for everyone involved. And we don't know exactly how this is going to go. And having a professional be able to facilitate that discussion, yeah. I think, is is really, really valuable. Especially and if they've worked with other step families, they might have a lot of ideas that you've never thought of. Just exactly, simple right. ideas yeah. that could eliminate some of this as well. Exactly. And I think, you know, um, it, I, I've always said that a therapist is cheaper than a lawyer. Oh, and for so, sure. Uh, <laughs> for might, sure. As well, might as well do that part first. That's so. exactly right. What about, and then coping skills. I mean, too, I guess some sometimes some people might be more prone to depression anyway, but if you know you're prone to depression and you're blending families with multiple roles, you probably need to have a pretty good, uh, you know, group of skills just to cope with your emotion. Exactly. And I, and I think um, being very um, open about that up front 
say, like, look, I, I'm a depression sufferer or I suffer from anxiety. And there's going to be times where I might be triggered. And, you know, here are some coping mechanisms that I found work for me. Mm-hmm. And thinking about how those might work within a family context. Because there's going to be times where someone could be triggered and, you know, they're there, maybe their coping mechanism is I just go upstairs and go by myself for 10 minutes. Right. Well, if you have a two-year-old, that's not really a great coping mechanism. <laughs> yeah, you got to uh, stay with the kid. Right, because <laughs> they could destroy a house in 10 minutes. Right. Uh, and so, um, but let's think about other ways to, to do it and practice um, a good, good in-the-moment sort of mindfulness sort of behaviors, I think, um, would be good. And I think, you know, again, going to a professional or talking that through with your new um, – your new spouse, I think, is valuable. Like, what are things that we could could do together that might help me yeah. through this situation? And maybe so- solidifying what your roles are and what they mm-hmm. aren't. Like, you don't necessarily need to be this for my children. Let me be yeah. that. Let their let their father be that. Mm-hmm. But I do need you to be this. I mean, maybe cl- the more we clarify the role, maybe it it will lighten the load of the role. Exactly. And I think bringing the kids in on that conversation is very, very important. Um, if the kids are at an age where they can communicate their wants and their needs from the parent, I think um, that's really invaluable because you can always say, look, we had this conversation. This is what you told me that you wanted from me, mm-hmm. and this is the role I'm trying to fulfill. And I think that's, um, I think that could actually prevent a lot of problems oh. down the road. I mean, for sure. And again, we always kind of think that, yeah, well, let's not talk to the kids about it, but the kids are probably the reason you're so stressed. I mean, it's these kids are causing and creating issues. So bring them in and let's get some of this out. Exactly. So um, some recent research showed that three out of every four um, marriages that had kids coming into the marriage uh, failed. Yeah. So I think that the data definitely supports what you're saying, that parenting um, is stressful. and, And when we have this, like from the start, that can be very, very stressful. Mm. Did um, what? What's your next study going to be? Are you doing? What's the next iteration? So one of the things that uh, I'm working on with some students here um, in social work at BYU is looking at specifically how depression impacts um, parenting. So how do people who are depressed, how do they parent their kids maybe differently than people who aren't depressed? Oh, yeah. And particularly looking at fathers, um, because we don't know actually a lot about the the link between depression and fathering behavior. So that's one of the things we're working on here. Is there any sign that uh, we know that women have a postpartum depression many times, um, which which makes sense because just the chemical impact of having a baby. Do men have a postpartum depression? Yeah, there's actually some evidence that they do have um, a little bit of a response um, after the birth of a child. And and a lot of it's related just to, um, you know, like when people talk about getting married, they're like, well, I loved her just as much as I I did, you know, getting married as I did the day before. It wasn't that big of a deal. But but when a baby comes, that's like a life-changing event. (laughs) No, totally. Instantaneous. Yeah. And... um, and so there actually is a lot of evidence that men experience the same the same thing as women do. Well, and it's some of that interestingly is probably tied to the role because when I was when I when we had our first child, it blew my mind. 
Like, because this wasn't just my cute little honey, my little sugar babe. This was now like Madonna. This was the mother that brought life to this earth. And it yeah. it literally freaked me out. I was thinking, wow, I'm never touching her again because she's <laughs> she's amazing. And yeah. um, and then then there's and my doctor always said, yeah, four to six weeks before, you know, you can have intimacy again. And my wife heard that as 46 weeks. <laughs> And so then I had to spend like the next six months trying to convince her, hey, but in the end, it's so um, there's something so powerful when we when we have these children that shift us. I also remember I had to get into game mode. I had to start providing for these children. And I was, you know, now I'm a dad. Now this child's not going to eat if I don't get out there and work. And that changed my role. So the roles, I love the roles focus. And we are for sure going to have you back, Kevin. Uh, Anytime you have any new research, let us know because uh, people need to know this. And if you're out there in listener land and you're a step parent, what would you say to them, Kevin? Just what do you say to the average step parent who already kind of knows the numbers, 75 percent? of these blended families are not going to work out, what advice do you give them? So um, the advice I give them is there are some very common mistakes that we know that remarried couples and step families make. And don't make those mistakes. Don't try to rush things. It's going to take some time for everybody to get used to each other. Don't um, try to force kids into a, a role that they don't want to take on. Um, and don't try to force yourself into a role that you don't want to take on. Right. And I think those three things um, are, are valuable. And those are mistakes that people make all the time. Oh, yeah. And so relationships take time, right? I mean, you can't force it just because you married it. It's, it ta- it's a conversion of relating. Yeah, exactly. So I think there was there's a study out there um, that showed that it takes about six years for everybody to be sort of okay with each other hmm. and to consider themselves a family. So six you know, years, six years. Yeah. So um, that's a long time. Yeah. Uh, in a in a in terms of a relationship, but um, you know, I think patience is really a key. It's not going to be. Uh, a fantasy or a dream just overnight. That's it's right. Gonna take time. Yeah, you're running a marathon. Exactly. <laughs> running a marathon. This isn't a 5K, folks. This exactly. is a marathon. It's not a sprint. That's right. Well, Kevin, we appreciate you and keep up the great work. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You bet. We're going to continue to bring Kevin on, pick his brain. You know, it's fun to be on BYU campus because you can just grab these professors in. Get some insight onto what's going on in the news. That's one of the goals of this show. We're uh, also, we've got another great guest coming in, Kristen Matthews, also on faculty here at BYU. She's going to be talking to us about this Harper Lee book that's coming out. You've all heard it. You know, you've read To Kill a Mockingbird. Well, did you know that there was another book that was written with the same people involved? Interesting stuff. More after this break on uh, Harper Lee's new book with Kristen Matthews right here on BYU Radio. Do you think you could tell us what happened? I don't know. All of a sudden, somebody grabbed me, knocked me down on the ground. Jim found me then. Then Mr. Yule, I reckon, grabbed him again, and Jim hollered. Then somebody grabbed me. Mr. Yule, I guess. Somebody grabbed him. Then I heard someone... And coughing. There's a clip right there from uh, the book to, or the movie To Kill a Mockingbird. 
Uh, one of the big moments in the movie. And uh, Harper Lee, the author of that book, iconic, really. I think every child, my kids would say, have been forced to read <laughs> To Kill a Mockingbird. I would say you were given the great blessing to read such a great uh, a book. But some of you may have heard in the news, Harper Lee, the author of that book, she, um, she has now, she's written another one that was actually written at the exact same time or in the same time. Nobody knew about this other book, and um, it's called Go Set a Watchman, and um, it's creating some pretty serious controversy. So we've asked Kristen Matthews to join us. Kristen is here from Brigham Young University. She's an English professor. Is that right, Kristen? Professor of English. Yes. That's, yes. Oh, you're the ones I'm afraid of. I know. I like to strike fear in most people <laughs> I speak with. Associate Professor of English. You don't scare me. Okay. Well, I'll but, try harder. Okay. So, so here we sit. Everyone's making a big uh, fuss about this because Harper, Harper Lee was a, per, a very private person. Very much so. And it, kind of feisty. Well, you know, she she kind of saw herself as scout. And so she tough, just liked scout, that yeah. tough feisty and very determined and, and those stories came from her childhood they, i mean some of the people some of the some of the um what would we call them characters in in that book are about her life or about her childhood yeah yeah a lot of um a, a lot of folks draw biographical yeah. connections and she started writing sketches about growing up in monroeville alabama when she was in college and later when she moved to new york though at one point she was very very uh, feisty uh-huh. in saying this is not an autobiography. Yeah. But make sure of that. Yes. Don't put that label on it. But a lot of the stories and some of the people were, were characters that she drew from her life. And then nobody had ever heard of this other book, which is actually precedes the To Kill a Mockingbird book. Yes. Right? And so, it wasn't the first book produced. No. Well, the story goes that she actually wrote this book go set a watchman first interesting and then her editor said you know maybe you could write one with scout as a young girl because go set a watchman has scout 20 years later returning back to her hometown okay. yeah and so then as the story goes that Harper Lee went back book. Oh. and wrote to kill a mockingbird and then set this one aside well what's the controversy it seems like what a blessing Another book from Harper Lee. Well, I know most people at first were thrilled. I mean, you scroll any Facebook feed, Twitter feed, and everyone's so excited. But then more of the story came out because Harper Lee is a notoriously private person. Oh, yeah. And for years, um, her sister, who was older than her and an attorney, and she called her Atticus in skirts, (laughs) um, she protected Harper Lee from interviews, from any sort of exploitation. And her sister died a year ago. And at a hundred and whatever. At a hundred four. I know. You so want to talk about protected by a hundred and four year old attorney. You want to talk about feisty? <laughs> but um, so so Harper Lee in two thousand seven had a stroke, and after that stroke, uh, she was left ninety five percent blind, profoundly deaf, yeah. and many say that at eighty eight she is suffering from dementia in a nursing home, and so the question comes: Can this person really give her consent? 
Right. To have this book published, a person who's been notoriously private and kept it back her whole life, is she all of a sudden now is now willing. Now she's releasing it. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's the fishy side, right? It's raised some eyebrows and some questions. Um, it's you know, and and again, then the other people are like, "Oh no, I know her well. She's fantastic. She says go for it." But you know, then quotes from her attorney in her behalf. Right, but the attorney. But the other interesting thing is, everybody in Monroeville, they've a lot of people have been making money on this book. Yeah, and that's causing some other controversy. I mean, they, they, there was a lawsuit where she was selling or shutting down people that were selling, you know, paraphernalia. This is the To Kill a Mockingbird Journal. This is the To Kill a Mockingbird whatever sweatshirt. Yeah, and so there have been um, as Harper's gotten older, some. People could say people capitalizing yeah. upon her aging and her sister's aging, though the lawsuits were brought forward by her current attorney. Uh-huh. And some have said that that's further evidence that this attorney is kind of getting out there because Harper Lee herself never wanted to make a public fuss. Right. And so her sister would work sort of in the background yeah. to do these things She's instead the, of making a big the show. heavy hand. What, what does this mean to us in literature? Um, so let's everything else aside. Let's. What is it? I mean, this is a big finding. It is, and Have, I. Do think, you know anything about the book? No, nothing's been released thus far. Huh. Um, last week's announcement was the first most anybody heard of it. Wow! And so uh, those of us who are scholars are kind of we're we're waiting with bated breath to see what it will be yeah. and what it will look like and. We don't know what shape it will be in. It's a found manuscript. Um, obviously, right now, Harper Lee can't go through the regular editorial process yeah, right. with the press. So it might just be one of those found published as is, which happens with a lot of authors. But generally, it's after they've died right. that we get this kind of work. Um, there, there, there's controversy, I guess, always been attached to the To Kill a Mockingbird. Yes. Talk, just talk about that. And it seems like just the release time with the content – is is really adding probably a lot of fervor or a lot of anxiety to this whole thing. Yeah, well, To Kill a Mockingbird, um, it's been a bestseller. And like you said with your kids, it yeah. is the top book that high schoolers read. They read it Period. more than anything else. Yeah. And it's published 30 million copies. It's 40 languages. Wow. So it, it, the Book of the Month Club chose it as a selection. So it's been read widely. Yeah. But from the start, there's been controversy because it dealt with really difficult issues like racism, poverty, sexism, uh, sexual violence. Yeah. Um, and so some folks were opposed to it because of that and didn't feel that that was appropriate. Yeah. So this was one of the books that we, they were always taking out. Everyone was starting mm-hmm. to you know, censor and get rid of the book. That caused other problems. Yes, yes. So we have that issue. And then um, on the other hand, there are some who – it came out in 1960 as the civil rights movement is really moving forward. And some folks found it problematic in its depiction of African Americans, mm. that they were depicted as flat characters, kind of caricatures, and that it required a great white savior like yep. Atticus Finch to come, to come in. in and save the day. Yeah. So, um, but at the same time, it's uh, according to the Library of Congress, it's the number two book after the Bible to make a great change. Yeah. And so that's amazing. Yeah. If you think about it, so if you think of all the books, it's the number two. Correct. 
Cool. So it did get people talking about this, and it did um, kind of ease those who normally wouldn't have talked about civil rights into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Do you? I mean, as a as a scholar, as an expert, um, like, are you excited to read it? Uh, Where are, where's your head? I mean, it, because too, it's it's going to be more of the same. I'm assuming genre. I mean, same tone. Same tenor. It may or may not be, because if you remember, Scout was narrating it as a child. That's right. Though some critics felt like she was a very precocious child, Mm -hmm. so she kind of narrated like an adult. But so we expect some more of the same insofar as the tone and some of the issues raised. But at the same time, we just don't know. And for scholars, you always want a little bit more, yeah. right? It's yeah. sort of like Lay's potato chips. You can't just eat one. <laughs> like right. if you put the bag of Harper Lee stuff. Them in. But, w- but at the same time, um, the story about its release has sort of tempered yeah. our enthusiasm mm-hmm. a little bit. I, w- I was joking with someone earlier that, yes, I'm going to read it, but I'll probably check it out of a library so that I don't yeah, <laughs> so You're not making anybody money. money. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Atta girl. That's, but see, we've been talking about that on the show all day, that sometimes the money taints it mm-hmm. and this story is I mean they're getting more and more press because of just this other angle on the book release. Right, uh, controversy is you know there's egg on their face, but controversy sells. You know it just does. A ton of books. What would you recommend as an English scholar? What should we be reading uh, that might help us better with understanding race relations, sexism? What are some of the other classics out there that you like? Oh, I mean, throw, that's a major curveball. Well, you know, I'm teaching a class right now on dissent in American Lit. And so it's dealing with a lot of these issues. And what I tell my students is that one book alone doesn't represent an issue. So if you read just, for example, another of my favorite, Lorraine Hansberry's A Raisin in the Sun, right? That play. If you read just that, you won't know everything about you know, the struggles of race and poverty, right? right? So you need to add to that because there are lots of different voices from the civil rights movement coming at it from all different angles, from very conservative to very radical positions. And so I just encourage students to pick up a book and then see what else is recommended. So, you know, by the way, it's the second time on the show today we've had the the challenge to read broadly, to go Mm -hmm. broadly. Not just reading, but in our media choices, don't just take a source. Take right. multiple sources. Right, because um, it's very easy to get led down a very narrow path if you limit your information to one source. Right. Because as you know, we teach our students, um, everyone has a bias and everyone has a position, whether it's recognized or not. And so it's important to get a chorus of yeah. voices so that you can better understand a moment, a text, an issue. Beautiful. Well, Kristen, we appreciate you running in here. Oh, well, thanks. Just to enlighten us. I mean, that's great insight. Great insight. And uh, are you writing anything? Are you an author? Are you going to th- throw something out there? You know, I don't do fiction. So I know, I know, I know. That's all right. That's okay. I do try to write non-ironic, non-humorous limericks, though. Do you? Just to kind of throw a curveball. Yes. Where can we get those? (laughs) (laughs) We'll have you come on and perform some of those. (laughs) Okay. A little limerick fest we'll have. We'll do that in March. Okay. The month of the limerick. Uh, Appreciate you coming on, Kristen. Seriously, great insight. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good stuff, uh, folks. Again, read broadly. 
that's such a great advice. It's not about the one book, right? It's about the perspective that many, many books, many articles, many different things that we can study to broaden our minds. We're going to take a break. Come back, uh, you know, we've got one more hour. Three-hour morning show right here on the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Good afternoon, everybody. Oh, it's morning. He did it. Good morning, everybody. I think I got the pool. How how much did you make on that? (laughs) Nothing. Nothing at all. It's morning, isn't it? (laughs) It Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend. Used to be the host of the afternoon show. That's true. So I never had to think of mornings. Now that's all I think You never knew they existed, did you? Hour number three of the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, Wow. What a great day, great show. Really, we're honored to be on in the morning. So a new voice for you as you're traveling to and fro. Well, a, a relocated voice. It's a relocated voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It ha- it's not new. By the way, it's the voice I've had my entire life. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Sean is here, Sean O'Neill. And, of course, on the board, James, His Excellency Birdsall. That's what they call me, His Excellency. No. Oh, jeez. <laughs> sure, make his head bigger. Yeah. Is it his got a little head? Yeah, I, I need my head to be a little bit bigger. Okay. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's it's actually a nicely shaped head. <laughs> Just for those of you checking in. I think that's due to the knives that he gave his girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, probably not. James by the way, has got some interesting uh James is in love with yes. an, with a world a, a wonderful woman we call McConkey. Mhm. We don't know her name. We, we'd like to use her real name, but he, he does not allow – does everybody else know? Yes. Everyone else knows. Everybody else knows her name but me. Yep. yep. Have they all been sworn to secrecy? Yep. Pretty much, yeah. <sighs> That's rude. <laughs> Why? What's what's the deal with me? Let's well, see if Mike – Mike, do you know – do you know – James has a girlfriend. Do you know what her name is? Yes. Can you tell me? No. <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> I didn't know everybody knew. Everyone knows. Does Don know? Oh, I don't, I don't know. know. I don't does Derek know? Question. Maybe he does. Upstairs? I'm pretty sure Derek knows, yeah. What? Everyone knows. I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm the host of the morning show. <laughs> I should know oh, these what? things. Oh, yeah. So her name is McClinton. Yes. Knock. Yes. Very, very close to that. It starts with an M, I'm pretty sure. That's why I go with the M words. It rhymes with McClinton talk. Really? Yeah. <laughs> what would that be? <laughs> I don't, I don't, know. don't even know. <laughs> Oh, well. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, or does it? Maybe. Any news on the you know engagement front? I will say this. What? There will be news, big news, soon. Ooh. See, this is a big deal because last week I saw I, – I snuck up behind James while he was on the internet. And he was sitting there and I caught something. Pro flowers? No. Oh. <laughs> no. I, he was on a wedding registry website. Oh. Like signing up. He was registering. Okay. Which, A, I, a, I demanded his man card immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, right now, give me your man card. But, B, he turned it off 
with like and looked at me as if he was like doing something completely wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, the problem with all of this, though, is that you can you take everything and use it as fodder. See that that's it's true. I'm giving you ammunition if you see yeah. if you see anything. So I'll, you know what? I'll let you know right now. As soon as you give me her name, I won't say any more. Oh right, <laughs> yeah. I don't believe yeah, that. None of us Not believe that. You're rude. I mean, you're all rude. Oh well, whatever. Hey, on the show, we we do like Mike. What you, what were you going to say, Mike? Oh, I just I I told you my girlfriend's name. Yeah, you did. But you keep Veronica. forgetting it. Yeah. So it was Veronica, right? <laughs> no. Kaylee. Alyssa. Alyssa. That's what I meant. Alana Elisica. Yeah. Anyway, uh, by the way, can I just suggest, you know, we have a lot of student producers on our on our shows and we have for years. And I think I feel strongly that our show gets more students married per pound than any other show. Well, we've got on BYU we've got Radio. three in the works. Yeah, we do. I mean, it's fantastic. Yeah. That's so, what we're actually going to put on the bottom of our wedding announcements. Yeah. Just like made possible by Matt Townsend. <gasps> Great idea. Wow. The Matt Townsend show. Yeah. Now in the mornings. Yeah. Nine, on nine BYU Radio, Radio yeah, Sirius XM 143. And or if you're BYUradio.org. So in listener land, if you have children that you'd like to get married, have them come on the show. We'll, we'll take care of them. We'll, get them. we'll get them married one way or another. Hey, uh, some, some sad news. Yeah. Uh, Coach Dean Smith. Passed away. He did. I think that was on North Friday. North Carolina. When yeah. It happened after our show on Friday. But 83 years of age. I mean, this guy, when you look at his, just his body of work, unbelievable. Incredible. And he was, he was the inventor of so many things it, yeah. when it came to basketball. It's incredible. 36 seasons as the coach of North Carolina. He uh, retired with more wins than any coach in men's Division I history. 879 wins, 254 losses. Yeah, that's an incredible winning percentage. That is like crazy. 0.776 winning percentage. Yeah. 11 Final Four appearances, two national championships, 82 and 93, 17 ACC regular season titles, 13 ACC tournament titles, uh, eight-time ACC Coach of the Year. Man. He got to coach Michael Jordan Michael in Jordan. He was the head coach of the gold-winning USA men's Olympic team in 1976. Yes. Oh, I mean, it really is. It's a big loss. That's oh, like – Yeah. That's to, huge. To the sport and, and to society, I think. Uh, especially when you think – like Michael Jordan, he coached James Worthy. Oh, yeah. James Worthy with the Lakers, Michael Jordan. I mean, come on. Those, those two alone are a legacy. Listen to this. Other than my parents, Michael Jordan said, no one had a bigger influence on my life than Coach Smith. He said in a statement, he was more than a coach. He was my mentor, my teacher, my second father. Coach was always there for me when I needed him, and I loved him for it. In teaching me the game of basketball, he taught me about life. My heart goes out to Linnea and their kids. We've lost a great man who had an incredible impact on his players, his staff, and the entire UNC uh, family. That's a pretty big deal. That's that's the thing that I think is is super inspirational about him as well is that not only was he is an incredibly successful coach who led teams to a lot of success, but I, I believe what ninety six percent of the people he he coached graduated. Did they really? Yeah, that's incredible. It's huge it's that what that guy just said. You know that he just wasn't a coach on on the no. That's on, Michael on Jordan. The court. Yeah. Yeah, on Michael Jordan, sorry. But that guy. I mean he yeah, just that guy, you know. You know Michael. Um 
No, but I mean, he was also a, a coach and a mentor off the court too. You know, he helped him achieve, you know, a lot of stuff. Oh, I mean, here, so here's Mike Shashevsky, the Duke coach. Uh, we have lost a man who cannot be replaced. He was one of a kind. And the sport of basketball lost one of its true pillars. Dean possessed one of the greatest basketball minds and was a magnificent teacher and tactician. While building an elite program at North Carolina, he was clearly ahead of his time in dealing with social issues as well. He was a little bit of a renegade. He was. He was actually one of the first coaches in a segregated South to offer a scholarship to a so African-American awesome. player. And he went to a very conservative uh, you oh, know, yes. community and thought to be – he was thought to be fairly liberal and mm-hmm. started pushing on some of those paradigms. So again, I mean these are people – That's we, we can get down on all the athletes we want and all of the you know fiascos that we might see during a year and the fights and the brawls and everything. But in the end, these coaches are – they're forging men. They're, they're leading – Men, they're cre- or and women, they're creating stronger character. So the role of the coach is is so critical. And our best wishes and love goes out. We it goes out to their family. We are impressed. It's cool to have somebody that you can be impressed with. Yep, man. Just and again, we all kind of knew that he was he was awesome. But you never really know till they pass away. Then all the stories get told. Good stuff. Hey, on the show, folks, we like to give you ideas, not just the news, but we want to give you real-life tools. Yeah, Sean? Yeah, Kim Giles is coming up next, actually, and she's going to be talking about mistakes and owning up to our mistakes. A la our first story of the day. Yes. Brian Williams. We're going to get into that, forgiveness, moving on, all of that, up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Kim Giles is in the house. Kim is our our coach. Kim has probably been on the show, I don't know, more than anybody, any of our guests. Is that true, Kim? I don't know. Someone find out. Do I get a prize? Is there a record? There is a prize. (laughs) Uh, James, what is the prize? A brand new car. Wow. wow. Funded by the by Matt, Matt Townsend. Townsend. Yep. <laughs> Hold it. Hey, no, but you do, you can, with help from us, have use of one of our fleet cars <laughs> here on BOU campus. We would, of course, have to check it out, and it would have to have actually a professional reason. But uh, if you want to go on a ride in one of our fleet vehicles, we will you accommodate. Can that. They're All very right. nice golf I'll think carts. i about that. <laughs> yeah. Plus, we can get you a golf cart ride anywhere on campus. It's it's a reward in and of itself to get to be here with you, Matt. You know what? This often. You know, you're not selling that very well. No, I really mean but it. I know. I actually, you I'm do sincere. mean it because you are sincere. Clarity Point Coaching. That's my company, ClarityPointCoaching.com. By the way, per pound, more free stuff on your website to help people find their lives, overcome their fears, let go of junk. You've got works, classes, videos, conference calls, lessons, articles. assessments, articles. You're a busy, busy, busy woman. Well, we want to help. You, so um, there's lots of help on there. You haven't heard of Brian Williams, have you? I, yeah. We talked I'm about him in the first hour. I'm familiar with his situation. He got in trouble, a little bit of a lie. Yeah. And we all kind of do that. We all make up stories. 
Well, we, we might over-exaggerate sure. things for dramatic value on occasion. Yeah. Yeah. I've never done that, but I've but known people that have. But you do it on uh, live TV. Yeah. <laughs> I do it on live TV, live radio, yeah. <laughs> um, do you – he's – you know, a lot of people are mad. He could lose his job. He could lose NBC a lot of money. Yeah, and, and you know what? This good. is kind of one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you because now that we're all – now that a lot of people can be mad at him, Bill Cosby, people – a lot of people are mad at Bill Cosby. A lot of people are mad at uh, – Whoever deflated the footballs in Deflategate. Well, a lot of people are mad at the Seattle Seahawks coach for yeah. the big mistake he made you don't calling pass, that play. Come on! So, yeah, being mad, angry, frustrated with people—part of life. It is. But how do we let it go? How do we move on? Well, this is a question I get asked a lot because you know I do the whole advice guru yeah. stuff. You, you uh, are an um, advice guru. So, you know, forgiving yourself when you've made these kind of mistakes is got to be the first step because don't you think you kind of set the tone? Oh yeah. If you're struggling with your with shame and guilt over your mistake, other people hold on to it longer right. than if you've moved past it and forgiven yourself, and and they can feel that from you. They kind of pick up on that. Yeah. So I think it has to start with self forgiveness, which is probably the hardest part. It really, why is that though? I mean. Even if everyone else in the community is willing to forgive you and let you move on, you don't. Is oh, it, is it so you don't make just... – is that your mind thinking, I don't want to make another mistake. So as long as I keep remembering this one. You know, I, I, I think it's more just that we're harder on ourselves than we are other people. And we've grown up with this subconscious idea that our performance – determines our value. Yeah. And so if you make mistakes, your value is therefore tarnished forever. A matter of fact, I had a parent write in to me recently who said, early on, I was stupid. I, you know, I'd never been a parent. I made a lot of mistakes. And those mistakes have really affected my kids, messed them up. And I can't fix that. Right. I can't repair it. it. It happened in the past. You can't go back. And it's too late. And I will never forgive myself. So she's just living with this horrible shame and guilt all the time and mm. regret and and feels like as long as that damage to her children is still there, there is no forgiveness she for her. She needs to carry that burden. Yeah. And does it do anybody no. any good uh-uh. to hang on to that and feel guilt and shame for decades? No. I, I don't see any value to yourself or anybody else from I, doing that. I was in prison last night. I haven't really? mentioned this yet. So last night I went to the Utah State Prison. And spent two hours teaching. Really? It was, it's fantastic. It's one of the greatest things I do, and I get to do it about every quarter. But they, they're just so hungry for information. And I basically taught this idea that you need to recognize where stuff's coming from. I call it body, mind, or spirit. Where is it coming from? The body messes you up certain ways. Your mind messes you up other ways. Your spirit's the source of the peace of all of it. But they all are so dying to be able to let it go. But they can't let it go. They you know, don't want to let it I go. I love this, Matt. Last night I spoke at the Juvenile Detention Center. Did you really? Look at us. Um, coolest That's thing great. I get yeah. to do. But same thing. Yeah. And, and the conversation I had with the kids there was about this very thing. You know, you, you can let the mistakes that you made impact your value forever. You can feel like a loser, like you're not good enough because this is where you are. Yeah. Or – you can separate your value from your performance and say, yeah, I made mistakes. They were amazing lessons, and boy, am I learning from them. And, and that's the purpose they serve in our life is to teach us things. 
so that we can make changes and become better, but they don't have to affect your value. Right, right. And I personally believe you're the prisoners of the prison and and you and I and every person on the planet as a human being James. has the same value. Even James. <laughs> <laughs> Even James. Yeah. Wow. Especially James. Yeah, there you go. You said that one guy. That one guy was Jordan. Michael Jordan. The Michael Jordan. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Keep going, Kim. Well, anyway. <laughs> we all have the same value. We have the same value. And I don't think our value is has to be tied to our performance. I think Mm-mm. that's an idea we learn yeah. as a kid. You got this subconscious lesson taught to you by watching the people around you that your value depends on that's your right. performance. That's right. But it's not necessarily truth. Uh-uh. I think your value lies in your uniqueness as an irreplaceable human being. And everyone's got – everyone's irreplaceable. You can't – So I mean, we all have the same value. Right. See, I guess we get functionally focused like, yeah, but you do this role and I can get someone else to do that role. But they can't do it like I do it and you can't do it my <laughs> way and with my gifts plus everything else I'm bringing. That's one role. I'm 500 things. I'm not just one thing. Yeah, and there may be people who are better at certain things than sure. you are, but when it comes to our intrinsic value as human beings, we have the same. And and I think I advise this parent that wrote in, you've got to change the way you're looking at the journey through life. This isn't a big test where your value's on the line and you blew it and now your grades are wrecked and you can't fix it. Right. Term over. That's not necessarily truth. That's no. I think life is a classroom, and we're all here to learn lessons. And I personally believe that the universe is a very wise teacher, and it's bringing you lessons that you need in your life. And apparently Brian Williams signed himself up for a class here. Oh, here we go. And now yeah. here's the lesson. And But you know what? It doesn't affect his value as no. a person. It's just going to be a painful Lesson to learn. It's interesting, but it's funny because, you know, NBC would say, yeah, oh, it's definitely going to affect his value. <laughs> I mean, his value is dropping precipitously. But you're saying as a human being, he's his still. intrinsic value. Yeah, he's still his just like the rest of us. His might be dropping by his. But it's also interesting, too, that he tried to probably increase his worth by thinking other things mattered, stories mattered, that, that he needed to make these stories more than they were. But if you're saying if we just know who we are, you'd. If we don't you need knew to go your there. value wasn't on the line and it's the same no matter what you do, you yeah. don't have to oversell it. It's true. You can just be you. I mean, that's even interesting on the on the show today. So I've done radio five and a half years on another station, two and a half years here, and we were doing starting the morning show today, and I was nervous, and I'm like, dude. It's kind of the same exact thing. It's the exact same thing you do every day that you don't ever get nervous about. But I'm like, well, it's different. But it's well, really not different. It's just the same. It's just... It's the same. You may have new listeners who've never that's heard it. you before. That's it. But again, that's so. it. And yet, it's still just, I, I mean, I can't do yeah, anything different. Yeah, it's still the same thing. I mean, I've tried. I've tried to work out this morning. Now I'm just sore. Well, Matt, I figure whatever show you put on is the perfect show for you to do today. And I if you agree. mess it up and you say happy afternoon and yeah. it's morning. Oh, did you hear that? Yeah, I did hear that. Before. Oh, uh, well, I appreciate you bringing it back up. <laughs> When you make a mistake, though, yeah. it didn't affect your value. Well, and but everyone I think there's people out there who it makes them feel a lot better about themselves to know the great Matt Townsend makes mistakes, too. Really? Well, that's what I tell myself whenever I give a speech yeah. or so, and yeah. I mess everyone. up. Yeah. That for some reason, this was all of our perfect journey today, and it's going to serve us to learn something from watching me make a mistake that's and right. for me from making it. And see, as a parent, I really believe that though I'm not a perfect parent— and I've made lots of mistakes. 
for some crazy reason, I was the perfect parent for my kids. Yeah. And the way I mess them up is the perfect way they're meant to be messed That's up in the universe classroom of life. Yeah. For them to be able to learn the lessons they're going to need to learn. I, I think to me that's a, that's like the universal paradigm. If we can get that right, just the universal idea that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing and we're here to learn. And you don't need to be perfect at it and your value is not. It's just a big classroom. I love that. Yeah. I, I think that's the first step to forgiving yourself is you've got to change the way you look at the life of the journey. And most of us were kind of raised with this idea that the universe is sort of chaos. It's free agency run yeah. wild. And everybody's out there making bad yeah, choices and all each this other. crap's right. happening. And we're just supposed to learn something in the course of the chaos. Yeah. And I, I don't think that fits. What I know of the universe, there's divine there's order, order everywhere. Mm-hmm. There's order everywhere. Do we really think that our education, which I believe God cares about, he just left up to random chaos. Yeah, no, that doesn't. It seem doesn't right. make sense. I, I think he created a universe that knows you, that's going to provide your perfect classroom experience with lessons that'll be right for you, and that includes mistakes because they're the very best teachers we have. Yeah, and that's it. We're so anti-mistake. For we just don't want to make them because we think they diminish they our right. value. And yet, in reality, they just added to your value. They really did. Like when you we just make a mistake smarter. on the show, we just figured out, well, we can't do that. That didn't work. We do that all the time. Uh, what are you going to talk about in the next break, after the next break? Well, I want to talk, I've got a couple other ways I think I can Ooh. help those who have made mistakes. I'm hoping Brian Williams is listening to yeah. feel better about himself. I hear he listens to the Matt Townsend show. I have too, though that might be a lie. But, but yeah, we I might have lied. made that. Oh, I just lied. Just like <laughs> Turn it into Brian Williams. Uh, so you're going to give us more ideas yeah. for how we handle this. Yeah, you know, I was listening to the segment earlier about step parents, and I'm a step parent. Yeah. And so I would like to, those who are out there struggling and getting depressed, I think we could also give them some tips. Some would that hope. be okay? You bet, please. Please, right. we need more hope. Uh, we're going to come back more with uh, Kim Giles. Go to her website, claritypointcoaching.com. That sounds wrong. No, is that right? It. Claritypointcoaching.com. Kim Giles is her name. Uh, she is the known as the universe's greatest relationship advice not a, not relationship but advice guru in all of the universe according that's, to the Matt Townsend show that's the title we just gave her she really is though one of the top 20 advice gurus in the country according to Good Morning America so you better be listening this is the Matt Townsend show we'll be right back after this break everybody to the matt townsend show this is the inaugural uh show three hours long we're in hour number three nobody's died we've done a body count in the last break everyone's still alive two people maimed two people maimed we're working on them right now uh but it's good to be with you again on this show we like to give you not just the news and the information but tools that help you make it through life i mean there's a lot of stuff that happens to us and we don't quite know how to handle it in the uh, in the studio with us today is Kim Giles from ClarityPointCoaching.com. 
And and Kim really is, she's the real deal. She's one of the top 20 advice gurus in the country, according to Good Morning America. And she has published over 240 articles in newspapers and magazines around the country. And now she's sitting with us today, helping us to understand how to kind of move on, move on from our own mistakes, our own issues, a la a little, you know, a little tool, some tools for for some people that have struggled lately. With self-forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. Self-forgiveness is, is a great way to put that. So I had an opportunity years ago to work with a lady who'd had some drug addiction issues. And she kind of felt like, I've, I've been a drug addict. I'm a drug addict forever. Once and it a drug sort addict? of defines, oh, yeah. defines me. And what I kind of helped her do is change the way she's looking at experiences. Every experience that you've had in your life was a location on your journey, but it didn't change who you are. And this is how I explain it, Matt. If you and I were going to go on a road trip to Florida, yeah. we may have to drive through Texas. And Texas is a huge state. Huge. It takes a long time to drive through. Right. Our car might even break down. We could be stuck there a couple of days. I mean, it could take us a while. Yeah. So the question is, during that time, are we Texans? Hmm. Does no. it make us Texans? No, I think we're – well, I mean, No. We're sort of living in Texas. We're borrowing Texas. <laughs> we're passing They're lending through. us Texas. But, yeah, see, I guess but I, it doesn't change who no, we are. Uh-uh. And, and I think drug addict was a location on her journey. And she went through. That's it. And she learned amazing lessons from that experience. And, you know, I look back at my life. I haven't always been a perfect parent. No. I'm a step-parent myself. Right. And it is a challenge. And I've had moments where I've made mistakes. I've let myself get upset when I shouldn't have. And I want to look back at those and say, okay, those were amazing lessons. Those moments helped me to see who right. I want to be and who I don't want to be. But they don't define me. They aren't who I am. They're just steps. They were locations on locations my journey. Locations on the journey. And we'll never go by and say the rest of our life, yeah, I'm a Texan. I mean, if you live in Texas, if you are a Texan, you're, you're a Texan. But the rest but of us, might even we were move, just passing, and then you wouldn't be right. one anymore. But it's kind of this human need to attach a label to ourselves, isn't it? We need to some. I mean, why are we not just happy knowing that we're we're just on this earth progressing? Because we were sort of taught that you're here to earn your value. Yeah, don't you think? Yeah, as you're kids, not quite we good enough until you've shown the outcome. Yeah. And it has to come through your appearance, your performance. Those extrinsic things determine your value. And the world really judges people by that standard. So, of course, we've picked it up. Totally. And we judge ourselves that way. But we can change it. We have the power to decide how we're going to see ourselves and our value. And we can decide that our value is not in question. You know, I always talk about that you're a, a one-of-a-kind, irreplaceable diamond, the only one on the planet. Right, yeah. You know, that. It's one of my favorite examples. But I, I had a client the other day who said what finally made sense to him is he's a Matrix fan. Uh-huh. And he said, so this whole world, this universe I'm in is kind of like the Matrix. and I'm, But the diamond that's really who I am isn't even here. It's outside the Matrix. Interesting. So nothing that happens here affects... The diamond. It's like in the, it's in the vault. It's it, yeah. It's away in the vault, protected. Totally protected. And everything that happens here is lessons. And you get to learn from them. And everything you go through and every mistake you make makes you wiser and yeah. stronger. And I guarantee people like Brian Williams, at the end of this, he may be poorer, yeah. but he will be smarter. Yeah, that's right. Wiser, less judgmental of that's other right. people. There's so many levels where he will be a better man for if, going especially if, you go, if he's real about it. I mean, yeah. that's one of the things I've seen. We're a very forgiving 
oh, we group are. of people. And that's so good. But it doesn't necessarily mean you learned what you needed to learn either. Yeah. I, mean, I, I guess <laughs> if our entire journey was just to get back, that's one thing versus if our entire journey is to become better, better learning. We have to actually that's learn. Right. And it seems like to right. me, if, if you've learned, I mean, we saw that with Lance Armstrong. His comeback was just kind of flat because when everyone saw that interview, everyone was thinking, hmm, yeah. well, we, we something want you to change. own it. Yeah. yeah, we want you to own it. And frankly, if you don't own it and learn the lesson, it's probably coming around again. Choo-choo, here comes the train <laughs> That's again. how the universe works. That's exactly right. Um, you know, Matt, another experience I've had recently, I've been working with a fellow who recently got out of prison. And um, the, the forgiving himself has been a really big deal. He's now actually on the sex offender registry for many years to come. And over a really dumb mistake, he's not a bad guy, just made a really dumb mistake. And he's actually, as part of his forgiveness process, put together this film. Yeah. And it is just being released at the end of the month. And you you are in the film coaching him on his own forgiveness. I am. It was funny. He he actually has more anger right now because he's got a daughter who won't forgive him. Yeah. And he's so upset that she won't give him another chance and forgive him. And in the course of coaching him, he realized that his real job is to forgive her for not forgiving him. him. Isn't that interesting? And I know there's a lot of us that have those kind of situations in life that people can't forgive us and we get so angry. Yeah. Forgiveness is just a, a journey all of us have got to take. And we saw that. I mean, I saw that in the prison last night. You saw it in the juvie hall. I mean, at some point, it's always about them still. They all, their healing is up to them. It they, is. And, and they can hold on and have the grudge and be mad and even be justified. I mean, people can be justified in their mind to think that they don't need to forgive somebody. But it's still their, that's their lesson. Well, and they'll continue to suffer, that's won't right. they? Well, I mean, a great example of that is Elizabeth Smart, who was kidnapped and abused and treated horribly. And one of the great lessons I remember reading in her book is she does not, A, want to be defined by this. This is not who she is. It was a location on her it's, journey. It's, just, it's that's not right. who just she another, is. And she's got to let it go. Otherwise, she carries it. Yeah. And if she keeps carrying it, then she's then she really is being impacted by him continually. So, you know, we were talking about understanding your value isn't attached. Yeah. We also have to give that to other people. We have to choose to let everybody be a student in the classroom right. of life whose value isn't att- attached to their performance. And, and it seems like we just love to nitpick and, and pick. I mean, Bruce Jenner just got in that accident, too. I mean, now he's getting beat up emotionally and for other issues in his life. I mean, it's so easy to just go after the stars, I guess, you know, and just start beating them up. But then look what you're becoming. It's it's everybody. We need to have the same heart of goodness for others and give them goodwill as we would want for ourselves. Well, matter of fact, they're tied together. I think you you either choose a criticism mindset where you're judgmental and critical of yeah. other people. But if you do that, you're also going to feel worse about yourself. That's right. Because you're giving power to the idea that we can be not good enough. But if you give forgiveness to everybody – yeah. That comes back to you, and you always feel better about yourself. And then it seems like if you don't feel so good about yourself, you just have to pile on more. So you just so it's just this spiral. It just keeps pulling you down or lifting you out, depending on whether what you're going to give. So we just got to choose that. that forgiveness mindset for everybody and ourselves, and let everybody be a struggling student doing yeah. the best they can with what they know. 
at the time. So, so, some are more noisy students. Some are more invasive students. But we're all just on the journey. And some have a lot more to learn than others. But we have That's the cool. same value either way. And you're on, you're in this movie coaching uh, those that aren't in Utah. If if they're in Utah, where can they go? Well, they can go to metamorafilms.org. And if they're in Utah, the tickets to this premiere night are free. It's going to be a really cool event. They've got Carla Kelly, who runs the Equal Rights Education Center of Utah, Mm. speaking. I'm going to be there and speak. Uh, It's going to be a really cool night. If you're in Utah, just go to metamorafilms.org and get tickets. And then it soon should be released nationwide. They should be looking for it. They can look for it on that website. You're the best. Kim Giles, well done, my friend. Thanks for being on the inaugural show. Thanks for having me. This is that exciting. That means you're big league. That means you've, you've officially reached stardom. On the new Matt Townsend Morning Show. Yeah, but a lot of stars, yeah. you know, some just burn out. <laughs> just be careful of that. Not saying you will. I'm just saying we don't have a lot of power. Uh, but thanks again, Kim, for joining us. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to check in on those guys from Sports Nation. You know, they follow this show, and so from here on out, we are going to be uh, checking in, learning from them, finding out what's on their show coming up. We'll do that after this break right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to The Matt Townsend Show. We're wrapping up the show, and, uh, you know, as this is a new show, we thought, how great if we could somehow glom onto the great uh, the great vibe that comes from um, a, a sister-brother show. I don't know what we're calling it, a brother show, Sports Nation, which you can listen to right after the show, 12 p.m. Eastern Time, one full hour of BYU Sports. Spencer Linton is down there, and Brian Logan filling in for Jerem Jordan today. We wanted to pick their brains and, and have a nice little handoff for him today. Spencer, you there? Yeah, I'm here, and, and let me say this, Matt. It's going to need to be a brother show. It's a brother show. We just show. determined that right away. Yeah, did you? I hope you weren't offended by the sister idea. <laughs> Not offended at all. The but sisters, you- we love the sister idea. Okay. Well, anyway, let's go with brother. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's stick with brother. I, I like that a little bit. Better. I like I like brother too. As long, as long as we could be like the big little brother, that kind of makes sense. But you guys are more the big brother. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know, yeah, I don't know about that. But yeah, you know it's... how you know how like the big brother uh, has a little brother, but he's bigger than them. Yes. You know, physically. I, yes. I, I think I'm okay with that. This okay. is quickly turning into a bromance scenario. <laughs> hey, uh, here's the deal, guys. We just talked about Dean Smith. I, 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 yeah. well, are you covering that at all on your show today? We won't talk specifically about Dean Smith, but I will say this. Uh, what a tribute to him via social media yesterday. Yeah. Uh, I saw his recruiting letter to Michael Jordan, and yeah. uh, Michael Jordan, the quote on him was, that man had more of an impact on my I life know. than anybody else besides my parents. And that That's is amazing. saying something. I mean, totally. that is the greatest basketball player ever. Yeah. Talking about uh, Dean Smith. And he was so hands-on in his recruiting and in his coaching style. I don't know that there is a coach today – uh, that could that could pull off what Dean Smith did and right. uh, and at North Carolina. I mean, yeah. he just was a unique individual, and that's why he had such great success. And I mean, again, and just that competition with Mike Shashevsky, all of that. I mean, it's it's pretty powerful. I loved it. I saw Mike Shashevsky's words as well, also praising praising Dean Smith as the greatest. What what's what else is on your show today, Spencer and Brian? Well, BYU has a guy named Kyle Collinsworth. Yeah, hello. Five triple doubles in a single season. In fact, in 18 games, he's done that. Just to amazing. Put this in perspective for you. Yeah, Matt, do do and for your listeners. 
BYU as a program, as a program until this season, had four combined triple doubles. Four different players had one wow. in a single season. Now, Kyle has five, five in 18 games. That sets an NCAA record. The career record is held by Shaquille O'Neal. You've heard of Shaq, yeah, I'm yeah. sure. Shaq. Shaq-alicious. And, <laughs> and Michael Anderson at Drexel. They have six in a career. Okay. He's, He's one away it. from tying the career in a He's single got it. season. Yeah. But why, why isn't he getting more play? Is, is it, what is that? That's just wrong. This well, is a big I, deal. I think he got his due credit on, on SportsCenter and on ESPN over the weekend. I don't okay. know, Brian, yeah, he, Brian, yeah, you he can did, stand he off did a little that. bit. I, you know, I, I think it just comes to, to BYU and, and sports and just yeah. the brand that BYU has. I, I think Again, the little and, brother thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think you see it throughout all of the sports, from basketball to football to you know, maybe even women's uh, volleyball that had a great year. Uh, this year, and, and I think that that's just that brand. I, I think with uh, some changes like the football team going uh, to independence and, and having an ESPN contract is, is going to help out. But I, I think they just have to build that brand a little bit more. And maybe the fact that BYU is not really playing so well, um, you know, uh, as a whole, yeah. uh, might have something to do with it as well. But there's a lot of different things. I think the biggest thing is that brand. I think you just nailed it right on the head, Brian. And that is everybody loves a winner, and BYU basketball has had their fair share of kind of mm-hmm. head-scratching losses this year. And so take a few of those away, and if they're a ranked team, then then he probably is getting more attention. But, you know, as far yeah. as the week goes, Matt, you look at signing day for BOA football on Wednesday with their 6'7", 410-pound Multikiai Coco Lani <laughs> yep, out of Tonya. that's awesome. Yeah. And then Kyle Collins were setting this triple-double. Like, Big they news. owned the social media week. That's right. And look at that. They, we deserve it. Come on. That's right. <laughs> Give well, us our due credit. That's right. Well, hey, I'm excited. Anything else on the show? Uh, we will have Blaine Fowler as well, yep. college basketball insider and our BYU TV dual threat analyst uh, talking about Kyle Collinsworth and giving us his realistic chances for the Cougars to uh, try and sneak into the NCAA tournament. Long oh, shot right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're, there, we're, there's still a path. Okay, well, we've actually, yeah, we're, we're working on that. We're trying to get really good karma for the team. That's right. <laughs> karma being the operative word there, especially on this show. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Well, guys, we appreciate it. We're going to turn it over. Actually, we're going to let you go get ready. You got, I know you got to get your makeup and hair done. We know that's a big part of the, the TV side. <laughs> that's right. So, yeah. so Spencer, we'll let Spencer you go. Ta- Spencer takes a good 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> Settle so, down, you know, Brian. Right. We, Plus, we might be a little bit late. And pluck those eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> well I, I actually do pluck my eyebrows. There you go. Back okay. to my wife. Does. I'm not saying anything, Brian. No <laughs> Thanks, offense. Matt. Thanks, guys. Take care and have a great show. Well done. I mean, these uh, these guys, look how much they know about sports, for heaven's sakes. Man, I, we threw that on them. Like, hey, we're just going to talk about Dean Smith. And he just, they get it. They get it. That's why you got to listen to the show. After this show, it's only about 10, eight minutes away. 10 That's minutes right. Away. Yeah. Hey, uh, we always like to wrap up our show talking about, uh, you know, the good in the world. One of the goals of BYU Broadcasting is to help you find the good in the world. And I found a story that I'm, I've asked Sean to kind of research, look into, about a good cop. A lot of times lately, the cops, are, cop. get, the cops cop. are getting a bad reputation. But this is the kind of thinking that we need oh, from our police officers. And I think it's, it's, we hear, I think it's happening a lot more than we know. Well, I find it interesting. There's a quote from the police officer in the story. He says, as a police officer, it's not black and white for us. There's a lot of gray, and you have to cipher through everything, and you really need to figure out the whole story. There's always a whole story. There is. But what the, So the, the circumstances here, this is in Lexington, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, police officer is called to a store uh, uh, with a report of shoplifting happening at the store. Uh, it turns out this man was shoplifting. Uh, he took a can of baby formula 
and um, he was stealing. He was baby stealing for- it. Okay, by the way, but there's a reason he was stealing. Yeah, we it. don't steal baby formula, you know, to go get high. No, you don't steal baby formula to go get rich either. That's right. That's right. You steal baby formula because you're down and out and you don't have any money to feed your child. There you go. And that's the reason this father was stealing the baby formula. But what happened, um, you have a single father. This is a single father, by the way. Mm. So he's fallen on hard times. And the man was caught stealing baby formula for his six-month-old son, who was with him at the time, by the way, in the store. And the police police officer said, uh, whose name is Roby. I don't have his first name here, though, unfortunately. That, that, uh, Justin, that sounds, that Officer sounds, Justin Roby. Yeah. He said, me citing him for court wouldn't have done any good for him. He's already short on money, can't afford formula. So me making him appear in court, he's still yeah. not going to have any food right. for the baby. So what Roby did next, he bought formula. What a guy. For the man. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Out of his pocket. Exactly. It reminds me of that cop that bought that boy a hamburger because he was too poor to have a hamburger. Do you remember that? He exactly. bought him a hamburger and then was shot and killed right after that. He said, uh, the, the police officer said, you know, put yourself in the situation. I think, what if me and my son, what if this was us? Mm, totally. Was the quote from the police officer. He also gave the man a message telling him that there were people and organizations, including the police department, available to help those in need. Yeah, so he's giving him resources, he other is. tools. Right. And he also said there's nothing special about what he did. He, don't, yeah. he doesn't consider the himself— doesn't think he was special. No, he doesn't. He, he, he says he and his fellow officers do selfless acts all the time, change tires. They give oh, yeah. people rides to homeless shelters. It's— and that's an everyday occurrence. Well, for that's them. probably more of their day to day job. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was an EMT on an ambulance many, many moons ago, and a lot of what you are doing is just lending a hand. You're just helping people out. Yeah, another quote from uh, Justin Roby We're not these robots. There's a human behind the badge. Ah, uh, see how that works, which is so perfectly tied to the show. I mean, again, the goal of the show is to help you become a better human being. And, you know, I don't ever want to sit here and look like we're piling on Brian Williams. No. I think there's a lot to learn from Brian Williams. He's, he's still a human being. That's he's right. still got the emotions that he's going through for this whole thing. We've all said something we shouldn't have said. And Although the we, difference is he says it on Letterman. Yeah, but we really could pile on if we want. And we could. And again, that's what Because I can tell you right now, doing. social media is oh, doing are. that. I know. And they are. And that's, again, though, it doesn't help the rest of us. Because meanwhile, I'm going to make Roby. Is that his name? Yes. He's Justin Roby. Justin Roby is now my – he's my hero of the day. I think so. That's and a he, great to idea. Me, he represents all of the police officers, all of the, the community kind of service workers, all of the people, the social workers that are dealing on the front lines with people with you know medical issues, mental health issues. We all need to do more of this. So what was your first show yeah. of the, the morning era yeah. of the Matt Townsend show? I liked it. We'll call it an era. This is the era. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is, or, or an epic. Is or, it, uh, what's it called? A, a dynasty. A, a dynasty. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay. What was your favorite part of today's show? Um, well, man, I liked all of them. I really, I liked our interview about, with uh, Robert Walls about Brian Williams. Yes. That was super That engaging. was some really good insight uh-huh. into what reporters need to be doing. Yep. And his suggestion of, like, states taking up and doing an endowment to uh-huh. get- how to cool get reporters out there, that would be amazing. I mean, but then then I'd worry that the state is now crossing the line in the media, right? Yeah. So then, I mean, that's why this is this is what we're going to see too. Is a, a lot of our issues in life are so complex. There's not one cause, one effect. There's multiple cause, 
multiple effect. I like that. I like the advice that we we had from um, Kristen, our PhD in Kristen English. Matthews. Matthews and uh, Talking about Robert Harper Walls. Lee. They both are basically saying it's too big of a world, folks, to just read one source of anything. Oh, you now need to truth. make sure you're getting all sides of the story. So I dare you to go out and watch MBC, MSNBC and go out and watch Fox News. Instead of just complaining about the others and remaining polarized, why don't we all just start informing ourselves a whole lot more? Again, one of the goals of this show. Um, another thing I really just liked is what Kim just taught us, that every step along the way is a journey. And, I mean, we, we sat there and we laughed and we, we talked about um, – who was the astronaut? John Glenn forgets he takes home a purse full of very valuable was that, stuff. Was that John Glenn or Neil Armstrong? I, can't. Neil I don't Armstrong. remember. Was it, it Neil Armstrong? Armstrong? Yeah, yeah, it was. Oh, was it? Yeah. Was Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, the whole time I'm thinking, oh, that was John Glenn. Um, are you sure? Anyway, we'll get there. Yeah. But I love the story. Like one guy, you, an astronaut can forget a really important bag full of instruments from the Apollo 11. Shuttle, that's crazy. So, um, but again, just a mistake, just a mistake. And um, anyway, lots of lots of great stuff today. I've learned a lot. Here's a here's a, here's a quote. One of the things we like to do on the show is is give you a quote on the way out, so you have something to hang on to. One quote by John Clare: If I had a second, if life had a second edition, how? If life had a second edition. How, how would I, I correct the proofs? No, how I would correct the proofs. Oh, that seems like it needs an exclamation emphasis. Point. Yeah, it does. Now, by the way, here's another quote from Gandhi, the one that I was going to throw out. Oh. We must become the change we seek in the world. True. Instead of waiting for everybody to change for us, we must become the change. When we make a mistake... If you want truthfulness in the media... You become the change. Exactly. You become the change... Be a better resource. Go out. Start understanding what's going on in your world. Start seeing the good in others. Start giving others the benefit of the doubt. That is the goal of the show is to give you that kind of spirit, that good heads up, as well as informing you to all the latest headlines and information. Again, thanks for joining us. We can't do the show without you. So tune in again tomorrow. More fun, more ideas right here on BYU Radio.